So the good news is, right, you've got that great interview with Jonathan Nimmerfro coming up at the end of the show. I know. So listeners, tune in. It'll be about the one hour and 50 minute mark. We've got a supersized episode of Spit today, Scott. Super big mouthful of spit coming at you. You had so much to say today. Spit. So anyway, at the end of the episode, we're going to tack that on. So stick around till the one hour and 50 minute mark to hear from Slurpee Wave photographer, Jonathan Nimmerfro. As we see some movement at the takeoff zone, it's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry, this thing holding open, it spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit, spits him out. Comes out after the spit, gets spat out of another good looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy, yeah, guy, yeah, freaking guy. What's up, guy? Uh-uh. Yeah, guy, spit. We're spitballing David Lee Scales and Scott Bass with you here on this Tuesday, January 9th, a rainy Tuesday in Southern California. David, good morning. Good morning, Scott. Good to see you. We're back yes. in our home studio, actually indoors. They let us back in. I know, right? They <laughs> Yes, we are at the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center, fabulous museum in San Clemente. And if you get a chance, if you're in town, you're going to want to do yourself a favor, visit the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center shack. Currently running an exhibit on surf to skate. Is that what it is? Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. There you go. Uh, by the way, what is, when you do the yeah guy, what is the ha ha ha? ha, ha, ha. <laughs> a little belly goat? What's that uh, portion? I don't know. That's just, you know how certain phrases over the decades, they sort of transform and evolve? Mm-hmm. Well, I think when we were, you know, in high school in the early 80s at the Seaside Reef parking lot, we would... I don't know where it came from. It might have come from Todd Martin or somebody, but, you know, I think it evolved sort of like this. You'd go, yeah, guy. Okay. Yeah, guy. Like that. And sort of evolved into. <laughs> Got it. It's a version of a laugh. It's sort of an. Um, Mixed with the yeah la- guy? Maybe it's a laugh. Is it, It's more of a. It's more of a greeting. Like, yeah. Yeah, David. Yeah. Kind of like that. Excessive hap. Excessive happiness not quite laughter yeah and it's almost like a um what's that word uh when you laugh insincerely like a chortle almost it's like it's like (laughs) yeah guy yeah yeah it's amazing yeah it's been honed for 35 years so you would hope that i'm getting the the version of perfection here on spit it's pretty (laughs) exciting yeah guy it's pretty exciting what's funny is that um that organically developed around the world too, because we've had listeners feedback saying that they do a yeah guy in New Zealand or whatever. And like, they've been doing it since high school. So it's not as if it started, uh, you know, on a timeline here and then 10 years later ended up there. It's simultaneously developing organically all across the world. Yeah. I think sadly, or maybe not so sadly, some of it has to do with Spicoli, like the Spicoli character is a caricature of, of what a surfer was like. And, you know, a 16 year old surfer in high school was sort of this, right, Mr. Hand. Okay. You know, like sort of like that. And part of that found its way into, yeah, guy. Yeah. Like that. Interesting. Anyway, the whole thing's a comical farce i'll, really. I'll be expect uh expect to be reading this on the encyclopedia of surfing in about 10 years or so this wow. whole diatribe yeah you know i'm it's interesting that you brought up the encyclopedia of surfing i have a big piece that um 
I want to read eventually when you're ready for okay. this. Well, let me read um, listener email real quick before we get into that. Yes. Uh, I just got this this morning when I was leaving the house and email popped up. And I was like, oh my gosh, what a what a wonderful message to receive and great way to start today's show. It says, uh, the subject line says, thanks for surf talk in 2017. As you move into the new year, I wanted to say thank you for the positive movement made in 2017. The expansion of the content, uh, while not abandoning the core down-the-line format, has been a welcome change. There are many newcomers to the podcast scene this year, and many others have... Um, that are still around and many others have fallen. I miss some of those that left us too soon. I'm sure more will fall in 2018, but I hope not. For me, the more the merrier in the surf podcast world. I don't have many bad things to say about any of these recent newcomers, except that what you are building is a level above, with the exception of Lipped, which is a show out of Australia. The others don't push the content level too far. Um, you're developing in every asp or satisfying my every aspect of surf talk uh, appetite keep the content coming wow how cool is that that's cool now is that is that at your surf splendor network or is that no, no, at no. our show well it just came through hello at surf splendor podcast.com oh well then he's probably speaking about everything you're doing right well what's your email address for people to give feedback to or um oh get a hold of you i mean i don't care that i just no no no. i'm not that's not what uh, i'm saying mine i'm just is, saying uh you know what just you can reach out Scott at surfboardshow.com. Yeah. Because my surf talk San Diego at gmail.com, um, I just don't check it enough and it's not fair. Like people send emails and I never get back to them. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't check it enough. So I apologize for that. From now on, you guys can just send it directly to me and I'll ignore it there. <laughs> no, no, just How are you with direct messaging on Instagram? I'm pretty good with it, actually. Me too. I hate to admit. I don't want to say that vocally because I know I'm, that's going to instigate more. I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, the shot of serotonin or dopamine or or, or whatever brain chemistry is firing when you get something yeah. in your in your instantly in your feed, you know, like you're like, oh, I'm going to click on it, you know, yeah. and, and the more we click on things, the more our brains are sort of getting trained to get a fire, a shot of dopamine or serotonin. I think it's dopamine that, you know, gets you this this feeling of euphoria, so a small little dose. You yeah, know? I think also. I'm more formal with my email reply. So if I get like that email right now, I will reply to, but I don't want to do it from my phone. I want to sit down in front of the computer because it was a thoughtful email. I want to give a thoughtful reply. Whereas the direct message, I feel okay just firing off kind of a unedited response, you know? So uh, I find myself, I reply to every single direct message, I think that comes through um, and emails. It might take me a week to get back to because I want to sit in front of a computer and do it. Yeah. Makes but sense. At any rate, um, Hello at Surf Splendor Podcast if you do want to email. And then... I've got one. I just yeah. pulled up my Gmail account. Sure. And uh, David Kramer sends us an email and he says, Hey, I enjoyed your magic board mm. article and video and discussion. I had Bill Menard make me a 511 cloud, which I'm assuming is some Menard model, model yeah. which I enjoyed last year down in Nicaragua. Figured I'm 55 years old and need to ride shortboards while I still can. That's a great email and an interesting... Th topic that kind of swirls around in my brain a lot because i'm surfing with 25 year olds that are riding 11 foot boards you know long boards and ripping and you know longboarding basically and i'm on a 511 or a 59 crazy and and i'm wondering why is that you know and and then the whole thing is like there's always this thing in the back of my brain where it's like well i'm gonna be 65 eventually and i'm just gonna ride my longboard then 
I see, but I don't think I'm gonna. I, think I don't think that's what it is either. I think it's that you ride the appropriate board for the conditions. The person you're talking about probably is a longboarder. They ride that board every day, right? Yeah, and and also like I could like yesterday, for instance, it was two to three feet glassy, peeling, super fun. Would have been good for a longboard, but I rode my shortboard because I can generate as much speed. Like to me, it's about speed, right? You want to kind of go fast and be able to do something with the speed. And I can generate speed these days on these wide fishy boards that I ride. Like mm. in tiny, tiny waves, I can go pretty fast and have more responsiveness and more sensitivity than I would on some big bulky longboard. Okay, that's an interesting topic then. So is there ever a reason to ride a longboard? If, well, you're, there- if you have the capability of riding, like right now in your physical state, you can ride the smaller board. Is there ever a reason reason to ride the longboard only if there is because when it gets warm and and it's sunny and it's summery and there's a certain dance that you want to perform it really comes down to the dance you know and so there's something about nose riding that's insane right it's like it's like a feeling like no other it really is magical and every surfer at some point should spend some time and get to know what it's like to feel like levitating yeah right and there's nothing in front of you right we've talked about this before yeah so is there a time for that dance in my life? Yes. In your life, there should be. In the listeners' lives, I would hope so. It's an important dance. But it just kind of it kind of comes down to what I feel like doing. And I generally try to feel like getting my CT on, which brings up another <laughs> topic. CT on. Which brings up another topic, which is... So yesterday, I did a roundhouse cutback. In okay. my opinion, a very smooth, fast, for me, precise, sure. not a body part, out of place. Although, if you saw the video, it probably looks pretty bad. But my point is, is that I did it and I went, wow, that was a really precise roundhouse cutback. And for some reason, the thought jumped in my head. You know what? I'm starting to surf like Dave Parmenter. You may recall or not, but back in the 80s when Dave was a pro, he was renowned for super precise roundhouse cutbacks. He was sort of known for scoring his points. And by the way, that might be a misnomer. I'm not here to... uh, put down Dave surfing or what he did in the eighties. I'm sure he went vertical as well, but it was widely written about that was his move. Yeah. That, that he was known for this really high speed railed roundhouse cutback. And, and so then I like did, smashing the whitewash off the, on the rebound. Maybe at, at okay. its, at its best, okay. but it was more about taking speed out into the flat round and out into the shoulder and doing a Got beautiful it. arcing turn. And, um, and, and it was just so random that that thought came into my mind. Like, oh my God, I'm starting to surf like Dave Parmenter. And, That's funny. And, and, I, and I brought that up because I'm, I'm trying to be a vertical surfer, but I'm at this place where I'm running out onto the shoulder and doing these beautiful wraps, you know? Yeah, and maybe yeah. it's the spot that I was surfing or whatever, but it, I just thought it was a random well, also, thought. Also, me. surfing vertically versus doing the roundhouse cutback are on two different sections of the wave. So if that roundhouse section is there you know the flatter part of the wave yeah that's what you do there yeah. you didn't have the option to go vert right you know? exactly so. exactly um well i do want to get into that board review because you've written those since but but real quickly i think new year's resolutions we're talking i haven't seen you since uh christmas or just post christmas okay do right. you do the resolution thing um not really i mean i, I sort of do a res a daily thing every day you know when i wake okay. up i do like a daily thing and it I don't like long-term, yeah. you know, what's the word I'm looking for? 
I don't know. Responsibility. <laughs> That's not want, what I thought. I don't want think. a long term. Uh, my life is in 24 hour segments. If you fail by the end of the day, you can restart tomorrow. Right. You don't Thank have to you. wait till 2019. Yes. I can eat that donut and not feel bad about it. I thought yours was to, um, you know, like dress for success or something. This is the nicest I've ever seen you dressed. Do you have like a interview after this? You're going to go play golf? What's going on? No, I have some. Some video work I'm doing. Oh. For the auction. Oh, I see. I'm going to be presenting some boards for the California Gold well, I, auction. I was going to explain to a listener what you look like, but I guess they could just check the video for evidence. I would like to hear your description of moi. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's going to only be glowing. I would imagine right now you're, so- going, you're going to audition for a local deep cable television show, and the role is to be a... Um, a community college professor of <laughs> kinesiology. It's all blue, blue pants, the exact same color blue polo long sleeve with three buttons. All three are buttoned to the neck, tucked in, no belt. I'm not saying it's a bad look. I wouldn't say it's a good look, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a look. And the chop hop or the chop hop version 2.0, because right. I got 1.0, but you tried to copy me, oh my um, God. <laughs> is fully greased. It has product in it. It Let's does. Just say dude. that. Wow. Yeah. Looking slick, Scott. Oh. I guarantee an added 5% to each sale of the auction, no. each auction sale, okay. <laughs> based on your appearance alone. Nice. Yeah. So no New Year's resolutions. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, in general, you know, I don't want to bore people with my people love it dude. dogma, but in general, you know, my New Year's resolution would be to grow spiritually, mm. to um, to look to love and to console and to understand rather than to look to be loved and to be consoled and to be understood. Those are excellent goals. Yeah. You know why I think resolutions are important? Why? And it doesn't have to be New Year's, but like you said, daily even, is um, setting an intention, I think, is just important in general because you will fall into an intention whether you know it or not. So kind of thinking about what's important to you and then intentionally setting it is is the first step but i also for me i don't know if this applies to you but data collection is important for me so like if i actually set some sort of a goal with some sort of a timeline and then keep track of it along the way i tend to do better with it than if i don't keep the data you know what data what do you mean well, it doesn't have to be like I'm keeping a spreadsheet, but as long as I, in my head, have that goal in mind and I'm kind of keeping track of the goal, those are data points for me. You know? I see. Um, that but, sets off some of that brain chemistry we were talking about. Which brain chemistry? Well, oh, the dopamine, dopamine or serotonin, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah, exactly. When, yeah, you, so, when you cross things off a list exactly. every day. that yeah. yeah, It's like, oh, that's a feeling of accomplishment. But what I have realized um, for the first time this year is that Whenever I set a New Year's resolution, I generally don't achieve it or I achieve some smaller degree of it than I intended to. So what I decided this year, reverse psychology. Yes. So my goal is um, surf less than ever and earn less than ever is my goal for 2018. (laughs) (laughs) Hoping that I achieve the exact I would urge you to change your goal. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, it's I'd always, rather have you fall short of the mark than hit the mark in this regard. No, this one I want 
the exact opposite always happens. So I'm well, flipping the script, dude. Yeah. Come on. All right. All right. Anyway, so about that board, you read you yeah. read the poly version and the XTR version. Yeah. And um, last time we spoke, which board did I have the XTR version yet? I think you had both, but you hadn't written them, and then you posted some Instagrams like at the beach. Okay, right. Them. So here's the here's how that those two boards mm. have, sh- have shaken out. I think you had written the poly actually last time we talked. But not okay, the so XTR. the the I paddled out on the XTR version, right? Which is the EPS. It's not even EPS. It's that what's that foam that the um, FCD guys use? What's that stuff called? It's yeah, like an it's extruded, expanded, expanded or extruded, extruded. extruded. And then EPS is expanded, right? And so I was. This is the extruded polystyrene polystyrene right. foam, which is the same, which is the stuff that Javier uses at XTR, and it's the stuff that Fletcher uses with those Patagonia boards, right? And um, and so that board, relative to the poly version, right, mm-hmm. is it's it feels stiffer. It feels like there's not as much dampening. Okay. And that's, I guess, what you would expect, that sure. a polyboard would have a little bit more, it would be softer feeling, more dampening, you know, like a, a more of a, um, I guess, a flexi, uh, uh, just... Just I think a dampening softer, is the best word. Dampening is I was trying word. to think of a better word as you were talking, and it's it's not flex. It is a different flex, but that's not specific enough of a descriptor. It's a dampening. Yeah, it's yeah. a dampening. Um, and so the, the the XTR is is stiffer. And by the way, this isn't a bad thing. No, it just no, no. is what it is. Yeah. You know, each board has its own thing. Now they're both made with futures boxes. They're right. identical surfboards as far as the shape, more or less. Yeah. Um, and so it's kind of cool that we've got three boards here that are, um, you know, that we can try out. For those who haven't listened to the past episodes, the third being the original board. Right, you were the trying original. to replicate. The original is the one I, I replicated, and it's an XTR with the extruded, mm-hmm. and it has lockbox fin boxes. The two new boards have future fin boxes, and I rode the same fins in both boards, too. Mm-hmm. And these two new ones. So the Poly I love, the XTR I love. I've been riding the XTR lately just because it's the one that's closest when I grab out of the rack, you know? Okay. Um, and then interestingly, Roy Sanchez, who made both of the boards, now wants to make me an EPS version. So I'll have all three versions. And I had the most fascinating talk with Javier at XTR. He's such an interesting guy. Have you interviewed him? No. You need to interview him. Okay. I want to interview him. Yeah. He's, in, he's super... Um, First of all, he's got an engineering degree in EPS. Like hmm. he's got a he, he's he's pretty, you know, like under the radar as far as he's very um, technical. He's he's making boards for some of the top surfers in the world. I.e., I can't say who they are on the yeah. radio. I was just told not to, but under a different label, like yes. a main label, yes, like a big brand. I would say yes. Okay. And he's shaping him, and I saw him, and and um, and he's doing some crazy cool stuff. Um, not the least of which you may have seen on one of my instas, maybe I don't know if I put it there, but um, one of my stories I think on instas, he showed me one of the boards he's making for Curran that has concave deck. Were you not allowed to say the name? No, I can say Curran. Oh, okay. it's not Curran's not the guy. Got it. It has, but he's doing this with all of these boards, just ever so slightly concave deck, like okay. maybe an eighth of an inch. Okay. And it allows 
and I'm going to butcher exactly what he was telling me because I kind of don't. It was a couple three weeks ago, but but um, he's just doing some really neat stuff, hmm. you know. And well, what does it allow? I, well, first of all, it allows it, it allows it allows you to have a thinner board on the center line, okay? So it's stronger, so you don't need a stringer. He's all about his, how is thinner his, stronger because it's thicker out here, okay? And again. We're getting into concepts that I'm not claiming to be an expert in in engineering or design theory or why, because that's a good question. But but most of it is is that it's thicker on the rail than it is in the middle. Okay. Um, yeah, I guess you would think that would go. But a lot of it has to do with the foam itself. Okay. His big thing is that the one thing that's that's holding us back as far as design and performance, surf, surf performance, not holding us back, but the one thing that's super archaic is the stringer. He is anti-stringer. Interesting. He's like, why do we even have it? Like, why is it there? Think way back. Like, why did we have a stringer in the first place? Strength? Maybe, but it affects flex. And his whole, he's huge on flex and how flex is important. He'll, he'll, he does this great analogy, not an analogy, but an example. If Matt Biolis makes, and he does this, Matt Biolis will make Chloe and Dino a series of 10 surfboards. Five of them are all 6'1", and five of them are all 5'11". They're all the same exact board. There's five 5'11s. For whatever reason, Chloe rides them, and he's like one of them more than he likes the other. Sure. And that is because of the flex. And so the stringers are supposed to be all the same. That's a jump to conclusion. Saying that's because of the flex is already... Well, what's what else would you attribute it to? Because they're all the same exact outline. They're computer-shaped. They're, they're... There's always going to be slight differences in the raw materials. Right. The foam is part of the flex. The foam is part of the flex. The, the foam glassing, the, the glassing, if it, especially well, if it was done by sure. two different hands, for the sure. weave of the cloth in the glassing. I mean, that stuff's all mecha- mechanized at this point, but there is differences yep. in the way that where the boxes kind of were placed in the board is even if it's a millimeter off, that's a difference. And to his point, the stringer, two types, two, you know, stringers cut from different even if it's the same tree have slightly different pattern wood pattern and a grain pattern so there's all the raw material has slight 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 differences so i think it's a jump to a conclusion to say the sole difference between the two boards is the flex but carry on yeah i i I, hit again i don't want to speak for javier he he could probably do a better job of explaining all this than me but but i would suggest to you that if the outline's the same and the fin boxes are the same What's not the same? And you just mentioned them all. And those attri- those those affect the flex. They do affect the flex. So the flex sure. is like, so we've got flex and we've got outline. Okay. Right? And we've got fin boxes and fins. So if if we know that the outline's the same, because we can replicate the outline. Right. And we can replicate the design, you know, the, the triplane hull or whatever, and we can replicate the fins. Then the variable is the, are the things you mentioned. The sand job, the, the glass materials. job, the yeah. foam, and the stringer. And he's just, he's really big on the stringer. It's not that we don't need something to maybe stiffen the board up in the in the center or on the rails. It's just that his idea is that a wood stringer, what's the wood? Every piece, every piece of wood is different. Right. As far as the way it's, and of course the foam's a little bit different too, yeah. you know. Um, 
And his whole thing is, look, let's just put high-density foam down the middle. Problem solved with that one variable, Okay. more or less. Yeah. You know, we know we've got high-density foam. Let's put that blue strip. You've seen those boards with that blue yeah. strip down the middle. Any color. By the way, which they've been doing since the 60s, yeah. high-density foam in the stringer. You know? Yeah. And um, he, he's, he's just a fascinating guy. It, and he does some stuff that you mentioned just a second ago yeah. about fin box placement uh-huh. that, that I'm not going to get into here. That's sort of his little secret. I'd rather have him talk sure. to you. He's not going to hide. He's not going to hold back from you. But I don't want to... Um, you should have recorded those conversations you were having. Well, I was just picking up a board, and he yeah, and I yeah. start talking, and before you know it, we're like an hour in, and I'm just fascinated by. He's you know he he's got this picture of some guy surfing, and he pulls it off of his wall, and behind it is his degree. <laughs> it's like a master's degree in poly something technical engineering, you know, Why with, a, with an emphasis in extruded polystyrene, like, and it's from 1987, <laughs> oh you know, my like. Gosh. It's pretty classic, you know? It's funny. It's really... Um, He's been doing this for a long time. Metaphoric, I guess, that... Or represents something that it's behind the surfer. The behind the photo of the surfer where it's like, he could have done a lot of different things with that degree, but surfing was more important. And so, <laughs> yeah. like, he's working in the surf biz with this yeah. overqualified degree. Um, I guess... So, I have a lot of questions. And I think this is a great exercise that you've been doing and listeners have really uh, enjoyed it. But well, one of the things, if I can just real quick say, is that you're you are welcome to take these boards. Oh, know? and that okay. would be fun, right? Yeah, yeah. Like let you go on yeah. it and see because you and I are about the same size yeah. and weight, and we surf generally the same. So it's not like I'd be giving you something that you wouldn't. Right. Although it might, I I probably ride a little bit more volume than you do. Yeah. Because not much. Not much. You're more muscular. <laughs> is that what you were gonna say? <laughs> I was gonna say because I'm older. Um. Okay, so a couple of things I want to pinpoint in this conversation. Um, you you said that the XTR version is firmer. Stiffer. Stiffer. And the poly version has more dampening. Yeah. Did you have a preference between the two? Well, I think it depends on the waves. When I first rode exactly. the XTR, I didn't like it. Okay. I was kind of like, oh, it's stiff. Like the poly, I could immediately just take off and immediately like kind of do a top turn and just kind of zip around and run around on it. Right. Whereas the XTR, the stiffer one, I kind of had to go down into the bottom and kind of, I had to ride it more off the tail. The dampening one, I can kind of ride it yeah. anywhere more, you know, like more or less. Whereas there's definitely a sweet spot on the XTR, the stiffer one, where when I'm there, it's incredible. And it's, it's livelier too. Yeah. It's much livelier. It's springier and... And it feels um, more like it's ready to zip around and go anywhere real quick, almost like kind of chaotic a little bit. I don't know if that's the right word because it seems to bring up a negative connotation, but it's not. It's not a negative, but it's just lively and springy. Lively, yeah. The 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 poly one is is just kind of more flowy and um, just a little bit more um, neutral. So not qualitatively better or worse just appropriate for different waves and conditions maybe yeah right each one has its own application yeah which has been true i think with that's where we always land on where we always land on is oh the right answer is have 100 boards in your quiver one for every single condition you know um but that was going to be my argument with javier where it's like Let's get rid of stringers altogether. Why do we need them? Well, it was only for strengthening originally, but now we have these other materials that provide strength or whatever. My thought is 
for some reason, the poly with the stringer just feels right. I don't know why, but every time I try to rise, ride some other um, material, there's quality, there's um, quantitative differences, but I can't say that they're better. It's like, oh, this is stiffer, and I would use this in these conditions, but it doesn't feel better. It's just different. But once I get on the poly with the stringer, oh, this feels like home to me. I I know what this, and maybe it's just because that's what we know. That's what we've grown up with. That's what's built into our DNA. It might not actually be better. It's just familiar, you know? Yeah, I would agree. Familiarity is a lot to do with it. But I, I also agree with you that I, there's this sense that you're getting into a warm pair of slippers yes. that you're comfortable with. And I've mentioned to you before on this show that I believe it was Skip Fry who said, you know, a surfboard is at its greatest when it's about a week away from delaminating. Yeah. When it's completely been worn in you know like that pair of ugg boots or Mm -hmm. you know whatever it is that you're comfortable that's comfort clothes poly seems to be like the comfort surfboard Mm -hmm. but to to backtrack javi didn't javi's not against stringers he's and he's not necessarily against wood stringers what he's against is the the one factor of those factors you mentioned that he believes can be eliminated, can be neutralized, I should say, is the stringer, the wood stringer. Like, right. that is, like, one stringer's way flexier than another. Right. And one, you know, and so he's like, look, I'm not against stringers. I'm even okay with, like, wedge stringers, you know, like, no stringer in the nose, and then maybe back in the chair, sure. or, off, or, or, or whatever. It, it sounds is. like he's okay with, like, a composite that you can Absolutely. get more predictability out Absolutely. of. Yeah. He's Absolutely. Yeah. He's all for eliminating the variable. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And he's making some of those. Have you seen those crazy Tomo big wave Maverick sports that are just insane? The twin fins? I just saw one recently. Yeah. They're, they've been on Instagram. If you yeah. go to Tomo's um, Instagram and Jamie Mitchell's riding them and Peter Mel's riding them. Yeah. That's who I saw. Well, those things have got some radical nose concepts. And again, this is uh, an area that um, we need to get Javier involved. I love it, dude. Well, Listeners have been eating it up, so I appreciate you going through the process. And the listeners can ride the boards, too. I mean, that would be fun, too. You know, I know we have some listeners in North San Diego County. Oh, so, yeah, a ton. You know, the boards are open for anyone to come and try. And and if there's guys out there, I know there's some guys that do board reviews. That, that might be fun, too. There's that guy that I saw on Surfline. I was going to ask you. What's that guy's name? Noel Salas. Yeah, that guy surfs good. I don't know surfs where he's so from. Good. But he does a great job. Yeah. I just saw the one he did on um, the, the Holy Grail. Yes, yeah. the Hayden shapes. Yeah. So he does a great job. Like that's a quality production. He would be welcome to you know to try this out. And I was going to. I mean, ask- it's kind of rare that I have two of the same boards <laughs> in two different constructions. That's. And you're going to have a third. And I'm going to have a third. And actually, you have four. You'll have a fourth because you have I'll the have original. Yeah. So, yeah. Here's I was actually, I put that in my notes. I was going to say surfboard reviews are an open niche market. Like, you need to exploit it. I think Noel's done a great job. Before him, Chris Grow was doing Shred Show. Sure. He's now with Firewire, but they, um, he did a great job. And he, he did it for like four years, had a huge YouTube following. And I feel like there's a real opportunity there for you to dive in i feel like you have more expertise than most and you just need a filmer i think maybe that's i do need a filmer somebody to show up at the beach every day get like an 18 year old kid coming out of college who wants you know yeah like that'd be perfect 
That would be. I bet we have a listener right now. That's what I need. I do need a filmer. Call to action for the listeners. Anybody wants to get into the surf industry, film Scott surfing every morning somewhere in San Diego, an undisclosed location. Yeah, I'll probably hire you to work at the boardroom show with me. For now, it's an internship. Yeah. But maybe down the road, there'll be an opportunity. Let's put it this way. You apply yourself, guaranteed there'll be an opportunity. Let's just say I like Tercado on sourdough, no mayo. What kind of coffee you want? I'm going to need just straight coffee. The house coffee's fine. Cream, no sugar. Okay. 20 ounces. 20 ounces. We'll yeah. get you through the morning. Yeah. All right. And, and you got to have your own camera and filming ability. Right. Do they and need to edit? No, but wash my truck. Okay. Yeah, you will need to edit. That's, and edit the video. That comes with it. Obviously. But I feel like, dude, and then it, it ties in perfectly with the boardroom show. Right. Well, you know, I've been doing some stuff on on the boardroom show site, but it needs to be tightened up and a little bit better. Or it needs a filmer. It needs a filmer. And because like your text is all great and you're very descriptive. Now let's add some visuals. Yeah. Done deal, dude. I like it, Scott. I'm not sure I can surf as good as uh, Noel. Noel. He rips, dude. How old is that guy? He's like 60 or something. He was shredding. Shreds. He looks like he's over 40. How does he always surf perfect head high A-frame waves? Where's he from? Where is that? He's around here somewhere. Oh. I've seen him in San Diego. Right. I think he's in your neighborhood. But yeah, it does, every single review I've watched of his, the waves are shoulder to head high, A-frame, slightly offshore conditions. That's interesting. You know, if he, like, when you absolutely shred, does it make for a good review? Because I'm constantly watching how the board's working under his feet. Like, I watched the Hayden Shapes one, the Holy Grail one. I actually saw parts of the in his bottom turns where the board looked like it kind of skipped a little bit mm -hmm. like i was kind of hypersensitive i was really giving it a discerning eyeball not to say he wasn't shredding and i'm sure the board works great um and then there's some you know at the end of the day i'm not a shaper like i hate to sound like i know too much i just want to be the guy on the street that that rode the board and i'm telling you what i think and i might love the board you might hate the board you know so what i think your your angle is it seems to me like he's got locked in with a few different builders and he rides multiple boards from that brand. And there's like three or four brands that he just constantly oh, revisits oh, I see. and rides different models of theirs. But they are the most popular brands out there and listeners or viewers probably want that. Yeah. But your angle is there's well, my, 500 my angle is other shapers. Boards that I'm riding. Yeah. You know, that's what it's called. These yeah. are the boards I'm riding. And he's know? always riding high performance short boards. Yeah, and look, you, you can get reviews on those anywhere. Yeah. So... Dude, like so, I said, exploit the wide open niche for you. Exploit that thing. That was the mic. Just drop dropped. the mic. Okay, let me get into this if you don't mind. Or, or no, dude, we're we're um because I've got thirty minutes of introduction today, so let's Is get into the, the show. Oh. <laughs> well, whatever. Anyway, um, bear with me as I read this. And Tell it, me it's Bob Dylan related. It's gonna everything's everything circles back to Bob Dylan. Thank goodness. <laughs> The 1966 World Championships. I got this from oh, Matt Warshaw's Encyclopedia. A timely of story. I love it. Yeah, 1966 World Championships. Uh, first of all, listeners may recall that you and I said we would bring up some Encyclopedia of Surfing stuff yeah, to of kind course. of get the mojo flowing for for Matt. Am I still good? Am I still hot? Yeah, it still works. The third most memorable World Championship held Whoa. from September 29th. Why, why? No, go ahead. No, no, I, I'm okay with you interrupting. What no, no, no. I read this, or I read oh. something about this, but yeah, go for it. Okay, held from September 29th to October 4th in San Diego, California, was won by Nat Young of Australia and California's Joyce Hoffman. The format used for the 1966 World Championships was different than those used in 64 and 65, 
as winners were determined by a cumulative point score over three consecutive but separate contests instead of a single event. Interestingly, President Lyndon Johnson sent the 1966 World Championship competitors a letter of welcome, and it said that 80,000 spectators gathered to watch the finals in San Diego. Holy cow. That raises my eyes a little. Yeah. 80,000 yeah. in 1966. Although reigning U.S. champion Corky Carroll and 64 world champ Midget Farley of Australia were among a half dozen contenders for the 66 world title, the event was correctly billed a showdown between David Nuiva and Nat Young. Nuiva, 17, the silky smooth Hawaiian-born goofy foot from Huntington Beach, was the U.S. Juniors Division champ and revered as the world's best nose rider. Young, 18, the cocky regular foot from Sydney, was in the vanguard of the hard-turning Australian Involvement School of Surfing, a precursor to the shortboard revolution. During the first round of competition at La Jolla Shores, Nueva caught a wave, walked to the nose, and perched on the tip for 10 seconds, and from there cruised to victory for the day, with Nat Young in second place. The curly-haired Australian roared back over the next five days to win the second and third rounds, both held at Ocean Beach in, the, in mainly right-breaking two- to four-foot waves. Nueva, meanwhile, lost early in round two, and the title was decided even before round three got underway. Nat Young gave much of the credit to Magic Sam, his nine-foot, four-inch surfboard, which was lighter and thinner than the board used by his competitors, and featured a long, swept-back, flexible fin that helped propel Young through his powerful turns and cutbacks. Nat Young stuck around long enough to insult Nueva in a post-contest interview. Mm. Every wave, up front, he walks and stands there. I don't think this is good for surfing. <laughs> then he drove off in his brand new Chevy Camaro, his first place prize. Nat Young left Magic Sam, the surfboard, with a friend that afternoon, and he never saw it again. But it didn't matter, as advancing shortboard revolution design work would render Magic Sam obsolete in a matter of weeks. Not long after the contest, Australian surf journalist John Witsick wrote, we're Tops Now, a caustic feature article for Surfer Magazine in which he described America's world championship surfers as by and large run-of-the-mill and ordinary. Nat Young and his Aussie cohorts, Witzig continued, were exciting and dynamic. It wasn't that simple, but Nat Young's display in the 66 titles was a preview for things to come, and the event itself was among the most exciting and dynamic surf competitions of the decade. Nat Young's win in San Diego couldn't have been more obvious or declarative, yet the American surf media's first response was to play it down, way down. Surfer Magazine announced that David Nueva had taken the top spot in the magazine's annual Reader Poll Awards. Then Surfing Magazine identified Makaha winner Fred Hemmings as the sports new international champion surf writer bill cleary not only wrote that the nose riding was still the sport's ultimate expression but that the australians were in fact a little more conservative than the americans in their writing sydney writer and photographer john witzig furious at americans refutation of young's victory and of australia's newly elevated position in surfing 
wrote a firebombing article titled We're Tops Now for the May 67 issue of Surfer Magazine. Has everyone in California forgotten that David Nueva was beaten? Thrashed. How much a shock has it been to see the idols, the graven images, fall so unceremoniously to the ranks of also-rans? Everything the pedestal of California surfing is built upon means nothing. The provocation, not surprisingly, caused the West Coasters to dig themselves even deeper into the hole. David Nueva called Witzig's article a bunch of garbage, and the Endless Summers' Mike Hinson dismissed Nat Young as a sellout with a big ego. Nat Young's idea of good surfing, Hinson continued, meant crawling over the wave while ours is blending with it. We've always been ahead of the Australians. Hmm. And that's the end of Matt Warshaw's little insight into the world championship of 1966. And David, I bring this up because my take on this is the boastful nationalism between the Australian press and the U.S. press, I think this is an incredible thing. It, it's, it's really kind of what's needed now, I think. Mm. I mean, isn't so you that... you like it. I do like it. Okay. Isn't that really what sport is? It's a format for nationalism to stew and ferment in the absence of war. There hasn't been any good media rivalries since both the surf print and the surf clothing industry imploded. And the sport needs rivalries. The Surfer Magazine, Surfing Magazine, Tug of War was all time. The secrecy over the cover shot was incredible. Although from my admittedly biased and jaded perspective as an employee of Surfer Magazine for 10 years. Surfing Magazine, with its neon geometric graphical theme during the 80s, it's forever optimistic. Everything is wonderful. Just go surf. And decades-long editorial bromance with its advertisers was a bit much. It missed the mark. But certainly Surfer Magazine, too, struggled to keep a separation of church and state, and the publishers and editors had backroom talks to keep the ship afloat and the slow trickle of money coming in. The torrent of ideas and voices that was the internet bust open the facade of both Surfer and Surfing. Ironically, Surfer Magazine's internet bulletin board forum led the way, calling BS on everything, including yours truly. To Surfer's credit, the post-Steve Hawk era did have some progressive think pieces from Chris Morrow, Sam George, and Brad Malekian, but, was, but it was the Andy Irons' death which shed the most light on the editorial weakness of surf media. They wouldn't touch it other than to run whatever Billabong told them to run. Investigative surf journalism died along with the most misunderstood, explosive, and incendiary surfer that ever was. And now we have Chaz and Beach Grit trying to get stab in the inertia to bite the hooked worm they dangle over the pier. I applaud the fun spirit that Chaz employs to get something brewing, but even in the, if Ashton and Zach bite the hook, it's still a media rivalry, and those are relatively weak. What we want is rivalry within the sport, like the one between Australia and the USA, like the one between Nat and David Nueva, Nat and Midget Fairley, or Nat and anyone who would get in his way. It seems that these days no one is asking really hard questions. Investigative journalism is dead. Does that mean that the sport is dead? That the culture is dead? What are the big investigative journalism stories? David, I'll shut up. There's none. I mean, you're absolutely 100% right. They're journalism and surfing, it's a oxymoron to what say it, like what does it a say? surf journalist. There's no surf journalist. Why? So, uh, well, 
as uh, I interviewed or I published an interview with Jamie Brissick last week, who yeah. was the editor yeah. for a while at, I think it was surfing actually. Yeah. Was, was it? Yeah. yeah. So, um, he was part of the problem. <laughs> he was, he was like, I was so disillusioned. He's like, I got in there with all these ambitions, writerly ambitions and editorial. And he goes, and I realized after a short while, I was just writing press releases for the big brands. Yeah. So the model is broken is, yeah. is the issue. Right. The model was broken. I will say right. the models been the, the model reshaped. broke itself the model broke itself it's been reshaped and in the internet age with all these independent content producers like yourself and myself we're gaining traction and gaining a core following of supporters warshaw's the best example and i actually brought this up to you either two or four weeks ago where i was like the best rivalries in surfing right now aren't between the surfers they're between the media and warshaw sent a shot across the bow he goes hey i'm doing this campaign this uh, funds drive, not a single mainstream company has stepped up to support it. And individuals from those companies have pulled from their pocket, but the companies themselves as media companies have not made a contribution for the history of surfing. And he goes, I'm not even shaming them, but what I am doing is recognizing who my supporters are. My supporters are the individuals. And I think that is so telling of where we're going now because you and I need to be aware of that as we proceed with whatever we're doing, that it's the money isn't just in five big bank accounts anymore, making all the decisions and dictating how things happen and the stories that are getting told and the products that are being produced. The money is spread between thousands of different bank accounts and everybody's picking their own story, their own path through the surf world, you know? And so, um, I've got a question for you. Um, I got a bunch of questions for you, but yeah. what are the big investigative journalism journalism stories that aren't being told in surfing? In surfing, I've got one for you. Okay, why hasn't anyone? First of all, let me ask you this: okay. Does Kelly Slater own the WSL? Does he have a business stake in the WSL? Uh, it appears that he does. Okay, Not, thank you. I wouldn't say owns it, but definitely has... He has a business stake a, in the WSL. An interest in it, yeah. Okay, I bring that up and I ask you that because everyone I ask believes that. Yeah. Everyone in every parking lot I've ever asked goes, yeah, he's he owns part of the WSL. It's like a given. People no, okay, so let me, I'm not saying he does. Let I'm me just pick saying, it apart from what I remember we discussed on this show years ago. Okay. Was that his management team, I think the guy's name is Terry Hardy, yes, right? Yes. His management team... Was part of the... Owners of the WSL bought in with Dirk Ziff as like the main financier. Right, bought in when the ASP was purchased by the WSL. Kelly's kind of we don't know that Kelly's money specifically was in that transaction, but the assumption was, hey, there's this group of guys who um, have all climbed this ladder together, and now they seem to invest in the same things together. One of those things was the wave pool other business um, interests that we know that Kelly has. And then they all got involved, it seemed, in the WSL together. Again, so none of it's verified. An investiga- exactly, because nobody's yeah. done the investigative journalism, which is my point, right? Okay. So- Why hasn't anyone dug into Kelly's business involvement with the WSL? Everyone I talk to believes Kelly has an ownership. Is that okay? Maybe it is. Is an owner going to compete in his own league in his own wave pool? If right. so, is that okay? Maybe it is. Is that the ethical thing to do? I don't know. Wouldn't it look better to recuse yourself? I don't know. I'm not even sure I care. Maybe that's the problem. Apathy. Dude, it's just a surf contest. 
Is that why there's no investigative journalism? Because at the end of the day, well, it's kind of a whole trivial topic. No. At the end of the day, it does not affect my session down at Hole in the Wall when it's three foot and onshore. That's not... I agree that is true, but that's not why we don't care. Why we don't care is we're all bros. Like, Kelly is a brethren, and what we need is a journalist to come in from outside the surf industry who doesn't surf, who doesn't care, have any vested interest. You and I care more about being buddy-buddy with Kelly Slater. I'm going to get invited to his wedding Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So we're not we're not buddy-buddy with him, but we're, we have these hopes that one day, and to be honest, it's not even that. It's not even that we want to be friends with him. It's that- That's pretty, that's pretty shallow, isn't it? It is, but like we're, we're cut from the same cloth. Like we yeah. have the same interests. We love doing what he loves doing. Yeah. So we don't want to step on his toes, even though we want to know the nitty-gritty about the Do you the personally feel it's wrong that he surfs in- If you believe- in your heart of hearts, that he has some sort of ownership stake in the WSL. Even if it's not a direct, like, I wrote a check to the WSL, if it's more like, you know he's riding on the coattails of Terry Hardy and the whole thing, and he's a part of it. Like, conventional wisdom is he's a part of it. You would agree with that. It seems to be that way, yeah. If that is true, are you do okay I have with him ethical? surfing? Yeah, do you have an ethical problem of him surfing in a league that he has influence in at the very least um it's a complicated question my short answer is yes that presents definite definite conflict of interest my long you personally like yes give a shit or you're like i don't care i love watching him surf in competition okay so ethically to answer your first question yes i have a problem with it as i dig in i think it's the him making a financial investment in this thing all the way down to him surfing a heat that the judges are judging is so diluted. All that in between is diluted enough to where I don't think his financial investment is directly dictating the scores that I he's totally receiving in that, that heat. See, so yes, in theory, legally, legally there seems to be an ethical conflict of interest in practice. I don't think there is. I know there isn't. I mean, I would go so far as I don't know, but I mean, I'm not suggesting that there's any sort of like, collusion about how he's getting scored or anything what i'm suggesting that if in fact that is the case it would seem like the smart business move to wave your hand and go hey for the integrity of the league i'm recusing myself (laughs) rather than to continue to have this sort of gray area over a a league and a sport that's basically kind of like trying to get its grips into mainstream the mainstream world you know Anyway. But it's not business isn't his sole focus, though. You're right. It would be the smarter business move at yeah, the bottom line si- I, was all that mattered. But to him, I think it's like, well, the bottom line matters a little bit, but lifestyle matters a bit as well in my happiness. And I want to compete and I enjoy that. So he's not making decisions solely based on the bottom line. And if he was, yeah. he would recuse himself. Well, and, and again, I, I'm not um, no, I I'm not trying to attack Kelly here. I'm, I'm just asking you questions. Of and course. isn't this... Isn't this a ripe story? Like to me, this is like oh, a ripe yes. story that totally. like Sports Illustrated would go, oh my God, this guy's playing basketball on a team and he's part owner of the league. And doesn't that affect the judging and the officiating and and the you know the ju- yeah. the rules committee after the season's over and they go and they you know it's like okay. all of these things are are reasons why you would think that the smart move is to just kind of go, I I should probably remove myself because. Like if, if it was golf, for instance, the gentlemanly thing to do would be to raise your hand and go, you know what? I My ball moved. I want everyone to know that. I didn't do it. I need a ruling here. Yeah. You know, like, and everyone gets together and goes, okay. And they, you know what I mean? Like, okay, it so seems check. like the gentlemanly thing to do would be to. So I think 
the reason why, so there's no independent journalists from a non-surfing background investigating these sort of things because it's a boys club. It's like, who would they even talk to? As soon as somebody knows that they're investigating something that might jeopardize the credibility, nobody's going to talk to them. Everybody's going to shut it down. And if you're from one of, everybody who has the answers and the secrets gets their paychecks from a, one of the big companies. Well, and it's like- This whole so, thing happened with the Andy Iron story. I, exactly. But let me ask you this. Let's point the finger at ourselves for a second. Sure. I sent you a text yesterday and I go, here's a story that you and I could talk about that's relevant in surfing, yeah. but it could jeopardize yeah. our relationships in the industry. Yeah. And we both agreed, ignore it. Don't yep. do it. So yep. we were in the exact same position and yep. we backed out as independent journalists. This podcast isn't funded by anybody, but it's kind of like- this would just not serve us well in our own lives. So let's not talk about it. Yeah. And we're not going to talk. I'm not saying that we should. I'm just saying like, even you and I for sure have avoided yes. important topics. Always. You know what I mean? So no we're no better. No, I, I, well, we're not <laughs> getting paid. Like it'd well, be one no, thing if I was getting paid as an investigative journalism, but I'm getting paid by, like you said, yeah. basically the boys club. Yeah. 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 Um, so here's another story. So I mentioned, what about, I think we mentioned this last time we were together. Where is the Andy Irons movie? Right. Like, that doesn't take too much investigative journalism. Just like, where the hell is it? Right. How come nobody's talking about it? Yeah. And and I want to backtrack a little bit because the idea that Chaz is trying to... I think it's fun that Chaz is poking stab and all that, you know. But it seems like Chaz and Derek would be the ones that would... And I know it's not really the tone of their website to get into in-depth, like, you know outside magazine type investigative journalism you know if anything they just kind of stir the pot and step yeah. step back and watch it boil totally but um i i think it would be it would be neat if somebody out there that actually gets paid to to so, do surf journalism did some and and the one guy that does it pretty good is um Stu nettles over yeah. there at is it coastal watch or or swellnet might swellnet. be coastal watch i don't know shit i so, apologize i always get those two mixed so by the way Chaz yeah. was investigating. Um, remember Owen Wright having a wipeout at Pipeline? Yeah. Yes. Chaz was investigating that story and he got shut down a year ago. You know, it was like calling everybody and people stopped returning his calls at a certain point. So once you try to dig in, you get shut down. And so there's a. Uh, well, that shouldn't you, stop you if you're. I mean, that's well. I, to I an investigative he, journalist, that's like, okay, we're on to something here. Let's chew on exactly. this. exactly. But I think Chaz has never called himself an investigative journalist. So once he hit a few roadblocks, he was like, "All right, moving on," because this isn't what I do. Investigative journalism isn't my thing. Yeah, I'm not getting. Right? You got to get paid pretty good. To, there has to. And, be. and at that point, you're like, you know what? I'm going to investigate something that matters. <laughs> you know, like right. like collusion between Russia and the president of the United States or whatever Maybe it is. So, yeah. 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 Okay, another story yeah. that probably should be investigated, but it won't. And again, I kind of come back to if there's no investigative journalism, if our culture doesn't even matter that much, then we don't really have a culture. Like, what are, What really are we? If, I think if we're we at the precipice. Even... Like, we're making that turn now to where we can either negotiate the terms and jump into the realm of larger, bigger, mainstream acceptance, all that sort of stuff by making these decisions. Well, what's fascinating is that I think if there was room for investigative journalism and surfing, surfing would grow to that place. But yeah. the longer that it stays encapsulated in this boys club thing, the the, the crustier that capsule gets, the yeah. harder that that crust gets. And but it's impenetrable at some point and it won't grow. You can't, the seed has to leave the pod to germinate. It's true. And beautiful metaphor, Scott. Uh, it's true, but also it's representative 
in the micro level at the local surf spot in the parking lot where it's like, you don't want it to grow. You want it to stay as small. It is. It's already actually too crowded. Go away. Don't surf, you know? Well, that, the, absolutely. Right. That, and that's kind of speaks to something that's a little sour, right? Like, yeah. You so said what you're saying is that there's a selfishness and a self-centeredness. That's at the basis of everything that is surf. The individual daily experience is being represented on the macro level in the media and the journalism and all of it. Go away. You're not allowed here. Yeah. Yeah. And this is why surfers are the absolute fucking worst. (laughs) The self most selfish. They are so bad. My, I have a dear friend who just goes, surfers are the worst. And he's so right. Like we're, we are just, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of, yes. Oh, he does. It's, it's true. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInJobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free that's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free terms and conditions apply we're we're not that great and we think we're so fucking unreal and we're actually kooks yeah i think i don't know do you think you're that great well no i mean surfing as a as a no actually but it's just so self-centered it's so like believe me i'm the first one to go i mean for years my mantra was Surfers should never show up at a parking lot um, with anybody in your car. You go by yourself because it fills up the parking lot quicker and there's less people in the water. Why wouldn't you do that? You know what I mean? So this, this, and it's all based around scarcity and fear that I'm not going to get mine, you know? Yeah. And for that, if that's what my ethos is based around, my whole pathos, my whole being is based around, I've got to get mine. And so everything that comes out from that is, is about getting mine and it's the self-centeredness. That's not who I want to be, man. That is unhealthy. That's yeah. like cancer. Right. And so this this whole 35-year experiment with surfing has been a cancerous thing. So, And the most fun I've ever had in the water is with friends hooting me on and me cheering them on. It's not the best waves I've ever caught that were the most fun experiences. It was the camaraderie that was the most fun, you know? So even though I'm with you and I'm trying to like weed people out and I'm trying to surf down the beach by myself, it's counterproductive to the fun. We're, we're our own worst enemy, Scott. We're the worst. We cannot get out of our own way. Surfers are the worst. That should be the name of this episode. I'm, I'm in. Let's okay, here's another investigative journalism piece okay. that may or may not be. 
What will the competitive surf contest landscape look like on the North Shore of Oahu when the WSL leaves? Because it is leaving. Mm-hmm. You cannot put the business of pro surfing up for sale, which they are going to do, and have an overripe lemon attached to it, which is what the politics on the North Shore is. The, the behind-the-scenes politics on the North Shore is extremely unattractive. It takes the shine off of this thing we're trying to sell. It is way better to sell this package without that. So what will surfing competitively the landscape look like on the North Shore? That could be a piece that, you, you know, a future thought that you could dig into and you could ask around and you could ask Matt Warshaw and Randy Rarick and you could ask player other players on the North Shore and just get their feeling for it. You ask the city and county of Honolulu what the permits. Are. I mean, there's plenty of opportunity for great investigative journalism. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And again, Stu Nettle, swell net. Yeah. Is where he's at. I just looked it up. He does a pretty good job of digging into this stuff. So another thing that was interesting about the Encyclopedia of History uh, or Encyclopedia of Surfing story that you told. Yes. Nueva versus Young. I feel like um, we definitely, in the way that America media wrote off Nat Young or just didn't acknowledge him, I feel like we write off Dirty Gabe that way too. Like Gabe Medina, his whole... I mean, the guy is literally the most popular surfer in the world, right? I mean, like, I'm saying that pretty objectively based on, again, data. 5.9 million Instagram followers. Kelly has, like, two-something. He's hanging out with Neymar and, like, these world-famous soccer athletes. He's in music videos. He is the most popular surfer in the world with, with sheer numbers. And you and I, and really, he's a world champ. His surfing is undeniably spectacular no matter one foot wave sloppy big barreling waves whatever it is he's unbelievable you and i write him off we don't write him off that guy sucks no 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 we do not say he sucks dirty gabe i I acknowledge and you do too that he's one of the greatest surfers in the world if not one he's one b i think i just love to root against him because he goes against everything that i'm sort of for when i'm looking for something in a competitive surfer which is sadly, perhaps, maybe not sadly, but I'm pro-USA because I'm from the USA. Yeah. I talked about this nationalism a minute ago. Yeah, uh, I want North American surfers to win because this is my region, just like when they go up against Brazil in the World Cup in soccer, I'm rooting for the United States, yeah. who sadly don't have a team in the frigging World <laughs> Cup this year. Don't you think we don't give him nearly as much credit as he's earned? Well, if we don't, it's sort of done with a tone of tongue in cheek. I mean, I have mad only you can't you have to by default have mad respect for him. He he's you'd be a fool to say he's not one of the best surfers in the world, if not the best surfer in the world. He's one of the best surfers in the world. Like he is insane. So he's a world champ and which is why he's so much fun to root against cuz he pushes the guys that we love, the the John John Florences and the Kelly Slaters of the world. He pushes them, to, you know, it's good for the sport. To have a guy with a black hat, which is what he is. Yeah. You know, I mean, we've so, had this talk. Yeah, but... I don't think we write him off. We we oh, we, we, we tongue-in-cheek min- terrorize him on the show because... Not only on the show, but in media, as you were talking about with that story. It's like the media as a whole, I feel, certainly out of America and maybe even Australia, where the main media outlets are, it's like the guy finished sixth in the Surfer Poll Awards. Sixth. Well, Behind Tiago Perez. <laughs> that 
I'm okay with that. Like in, in, in many ways, that helps feed the rivalry. That makes him mad. That gets him inspired to do better. I you think know? it blows up. Again, the model is broken, and it really jeopardizes the credibility of the model. I think Gabriel, you're right. He does get mad, but he also goes, you know what, American media, no more interviews for you guys. Good. No more talking F you guys. Because I'm glad he does that. I have a nation's support, and the nation doesn't have maybe as much international media coverage. Like Whatever media they have there doesn't necessarily infiltrate our awareness, yeah. your and my awareness. And we're we're we've admitted we're just super myopic. Like we're very kind of I don't know Southern California centric yeah, yeah, we are. in terms of the things we discuss and cover. But nevertheless, um, I feel like we have minimized his great successes and popularity. I'm okay with it. I'm not saying we need to change. I'm just acknowledging no. it's what was happening in 1966. Not that different than what's happening in 2017, 18. And 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 I think that's a good thing. I, I think that. There needs to be, I think that nationalism is a good thing for sport. I'm all for it. Yeah. Um, here's another story. Yeah. Real quick. The Asian surfboard market. Is it killing American surf industry jobs? Many mm. believe that it is. Yeah. But is it? I don't know. Do you know? I don't really know. I don't have empirical evidence, as you say. Do we have facts or do we have both sides of the equation spouting misinformation in the hopes of firing up their respective camps? Are jobs being be created because of the Asian surfboard market? Is Asian manufacturing good or bad for the environment? If we can sell boards to Asians, why can't Asians sell boards to us? These would all be things that would be on my whiteboard if I was an editor of an investigative journalism team and I was saying, go out and do this story. Yeah, And that's a story that's probably not going to be touched. Right. You know? Here's another one. Sustainable surfboards. What do they really mean? Is a board that lasts for five years more sustainable than a board that lasts for one year? Why aren't all boards just made from wood? You know, like bamboo. Here's another. What about sexual abuse or misconduct within the surf industry? Seems to be a hot topic. I saw Super. you with your black dress on the other day. <laughs> I was vilified on all Instagram those mid eighties and mid nineties trade show shenanigans. You mean to tell me that there were no big time surf clothing industry influencers that didn't put some young woman in an awkward position based on power? Of course there were. Yeah. I often get the question about, homosexuality in the surf world people have it, listeners are like are there any outs somebody literally emailed me last week i think it was like are there any out surfers you know and um on the pro level like in their prime who came out like there's a couple examples that i don't i don't even remember anybody declaring anything there's some that are like oh yeah that person's gay and like everybody knows but i don't remember any well you know what's interesting our generation i think is more sensitive to it like my son and my daughter's generation that, that's not even like they an even issue. Yeah. They, no one even cares. Like, it's right. all just like transgender, whatever. Like, it's not as big a deal as we seem to make, think that it is because we're from just that maybe one or two generations removed where it was right. like a big deal to announce it. But right. now it's kind of like, so what? Right. You know, that's not an issue. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway, there are some guys, though. I'm trying to remember. Um, there was an Australian guy that was a pro surfer. It's in, actually, it's in encyclopedia of surfing or it's in the history of surfing um but i, I can't remember well this i mean speaking of jamie brissick this isn't necessarily um to do with homosexuality or heterosexuality but that <laughs> what is peter, it to do with that peter druin <laughs> westerly windina yeah, story yes yes transgender is what that one is right. but fascinating story yeah that story to me is more fascinating about the psyche behind exactly. the drama yeah because 
I don't know, man. That's well, that's what I told disturbed, Jamie. Disturbed character. That's what I told Jamie. I'm like, whether or not the thing was a ruse or like a sincere feeling like you were born into the wrong gender doesn't really matter to me. Like, it's fascinating either way. If this was a ruse, that's equally as fascinating as somebody going through a gender reassignment because well, they what's felt- next? You know, my question is like, okay, so what I'm getting from this is that this person needs attention so deeply undeniable that he'll, that he'll do oh he he admits it oh yeah and like so even, what's next is he going to become like an animal like a, is he going to like tr- is he going to become a donkey or a horse like what like what what else is there like he's done everything you can possibly do to get yourself attention yeah maybe it's murder which is maybe he's going to become right? a mass murderer i think the guy's scary it's fascinating though right from I a mean, psychological level, it's he's it's a so little, by the it's way, so self-absorbed that it's kind of boring. It's kind of like uh, yeah. I don't even want to give the guy the time of day. Maybe so. I I think it's like psychologically, it's interesting. He had the sexual reassignment surgery to become a woman, and then now he's living as Peter again. Yeah, I know. That's what yeah. I mean. It's like yeah. what's next? He's done everything. He's gone right. one way, went the other way. Right. The only thing he can do is become a horse. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. Billabong International announced that it's entered into a scheme implementation deed with Board Riders Incorporated, which Board Riders has agreed to acquire all the shares of Billabong other than those already owned by its related entities at a price of blah, 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 blah. Which sounds better, David? Quick a bong. Quick a bong. By the way, Board Riders is Quicksilver, just right. for the record. I'm just, no one cares. That's my point. Okay. Quick a bong. Or. Villa Silver. <laughs> Villa Silver is an alcoholic beverage. I feel like that's like the latest beer on the market or something. <laughs> Quick, a bong. And that also has negative in- implementation. Quick, a bong. Yeah. Quick, a bong. Yeah. So Quicksilver and Billabong Merge. joining forces. Um, smaller brands, Roxy and DC, are now brethren to Excel, Ruka, Element, and Von Zipper. Yep. So the whole thing's just boring to me this so, isn't even a story i like, know this it's funny even, that i felt that way too because because chaz and those guys are like how come stab hasn't talked about this this is such a non-story it has nothing to do with surfing okay let me These ask, aren't even surf companies okay let me ask you this then because i i my initial thought was the same thing and let me explain it for the listeners um the brand identities remain separate so billabong will still exist quicksilver will still exist of course they were both uh, largely owned by Oak Tree Capital that had invested. They still are. Yeah. And that's so who, that's who- so Oak Tree Capital is like, we have these two assets on the balance sheets with separate everything. We can maintain the separate brand identities in the marketplace and just combine the back of the house stuff. So we'll combine the house operations, presumably everything from supply and distribution chain to graphic designers to web developers to accounting H-R. will all be done in-house. We'll eliminate... of the expenses on our end and just maintain separate identities in the marketplace. So to, to me, I was thinking same thing as you, like no big deal. This is not really that interesting to me, but I will ask you, did both those brands have very impactful influence on your surf upbringing? Yes. Of course they did. Yeah, they did. You know what I mean? So they've moved on like might, might be, but there's a story. Or maybe I've moved on. Yeah. There's a story there in that, they were highly influential in me being a surfer through my entire life. Will it affect who they sponsor? Like Parco rides Billabong and like guys that I like and follow ride for these brands. So are they still going to be involved? Is, 
you know, uh, are they going to be generating video content that I enjoy watching all that sort of stuff? Well, I think, I don't know. My feeling is, is that I don't really care about this story. Yeah. Like my son could give a shit about any surf brand. Mm-hmm. They don't, those kids don't care about surf. Like the idea that, Oh, I've got surf brand on. They don't give a shit about right. it. They're into Kendrick Lamar. What's Kendrick Lamar wearing? Yeah. You know, like the whole paradigm has shifted so far that the idea that people are still hanging on to, Hey, we've got some surf stars. If we put our gear on them, the 15 year old's going to dig it. It's that's gone. Yeah. And I can't believe people still hold on to that, but they do care. They, the thing is they do care. Like they care about what Kendrick Lamar is. No, you know, like my son's into Vans. Like Vans is still relevant to my son because Vans has done a pretty good job of covering their bases across like Kendrick Lamar is probably wearing Vans. You know what I mean? And he probably paid for him. I don't know, but he's probably wearing because he likes them because it's it's cool. It's an example where it's like reef, who wear i don't even know who wears reef anymore who or who cares to wear not that it's not a good product but it's not like you go out and you go i gotta get me some reef right have you ever said that when i saw those booty ads when i was like a 15 year old (laughs) david scales i was like i gotta uh, get me some reef model (laughs) i will support this brand no matter what again i'm not here to shoot down reef i've got good dear friends that work there i I, but i'm just trying to get across that i think the core market doesn't care you know what's interesting um Stab also released a couple of articles in the last couple of weeks. One was the top earners in the surf, uh, pro surf world. They gave you everybody's salaries and what they made last year. And then they also did a story on uh, what does it cost to qualify for the QS? And they got the seven qualifiers this year and asked them, what did you spend on tour to make it to the CT? And I'll, I can give you those numbers if you want, but it really also highlighted for me like how equitable how equitable is making a living off of surfing one and then number two more important question is is there a way to earn a living off what you love without stripping the joy from it you know what i mean like once you make surfing your career whether it's as a pro surfer or just as some whatever marketing guy like do you still enjoy it as much anymore when your paycheck is tied to it, when your responsibility, your mortgage, your kids' food, all that sort of stuff is now tied to this thing. It all depends on if you are serving others when you do this thing. And surfing, as a, being a pro surfer, who are you really serving? Who are you helping? Oneself. Yeah. You could argue maybe the fan base, but they're so removed. Like, they don't wake up and go, I'm going to be the world champion because... Joe Blow over there is my fan. Right. Whereas if you, for instance, sell cars, let's just say, you're actually doing a serve, like you're helping. If you go, if you approach your job correctly, you're like, hey, maybe I can help somebody buy a car today. Yeah. You know? Well, okay. Counterpoint. You are, um, surfing has been therapeutic for everybody who's ever done it, gets great, tremendous benefit out of it therapeutically so as john john inspiring other people to surf you are providing a therapy service you could argue that yeah i mean i don't think that john john necessarily thinks that you know when he goes out um whether he thinks it or not it it still could be true yeah but you were asking does it suck the 
does it suck the joy out of what he does? Yeah. The fact that he's making a living. And he's at such a level that the answer is no, it doesn't. Exactly. But the but, but for the, the QS blue collar QS guys. Yeah. I'll give you so to give you an example, Michael Rodriguez, Brazilian surfer, surfed 13 events on the QS last year, spent sixty thousand dollars doing that, and he qualified for the CT. You gotta wonder. When you're flying halfway across the world to surf two foot waves in a contest that you might lose first round, is he having more fun, or did you yesterday when you surfed your local beach break? You know, I don't know. It's I mean, that's that's a, you know, those are good questions. I mean, for sure, there's burnout on some level after a certain number of years yeah. of doing it. Um, you know, you're chasing your dream. You're like the minor league baseball player that wants to make the majors, and and you're willing to put in the four or five years or whatever takes to get there and and you chase your dream and you realize that your dream was maybe it was realized yeah and it's time for the next chapter in your life maybe that means marriage kid different you know obviously a job change um yeah i don't know you know that's for each and everyone to to kind of figure out on their own but I, i remember when i was like getting out of high school i was really into photography and i considered i didn't know what i wanted to do in my life and i was like i think if i pursued this professionally i'm gonna struggle with it and i'll get to a point where i'm like have to go shoot weddings or something that i'm not passionate about and if i had to shoot weddings all weekend long on monday morning would i want to wake up and go get creative and get the shot somewhere whether it's surfing or and i was like no i would lose all energy going into monday because i was processing photos until 2 a.m on sunday night to get it to these people who just got married before they go on their honeymoon or what like I don't want to ever do that for a living. I want to just pursue it creatively as I feel. And I've abandoned photography a decade ago, by the way. It's not <laughs> that was like, smart, actually. That was, that was uh, abandoned it even as like a passion project. Um, so I don't know. I always think about that because you're right. Like at the top, top level, of course, John John's enjoying his life and doesn't feel any of the pressures. And I think the QS grinder guys are too because they're young enough and naive enough and stoked enough to be like i'm chasing my dream yeah why would you know this is what i'm doing i'm chasing my dream i have some goals and i'm gonna you know and so that's it's good until it's not good yeah when you're young it's good for sure do you want to hear the rundown real quickly of the top earners yeah did you look at this previously no okay cool john john florence highest earner five five million six hundred ninety two thousand so five and a half million what does that come from everything yeah that comes from Hurley? Hurley. I, so again. Winnings? Yes. Hurley, Winnings, and other sponsors. All, all in This was from deals. Stab. This was from Stab. So I have questions about how they compile the information and how accurate it is. Yeah. So I'm going to give them a $500,000 grace room. I'm kind of disappointed that he only made $5.5 Really? Okay. Contest earnings are public. Like You can figure that information out. I don't know if anybody has actually seen the contracts. At, I don't know if anybody at Stab has actually looked at John John's contracts and were like, this is what he made from whatever, you know? Who's John John's agent, do you know? Oh, no, I don't. I, he's good buddies with Brandon Wasserman. Oh, it's one of the Wassermans. So it might be Wasserman group thing. Um, but we all know how small this industry is. So even if he hasn't seen the exact contract, you can kind of determine who the top earners are anyways, like who maybe the top 10 are. And then you've also heard rumors about one or two contracts, so you can triangulate from there, approximate. Where's Alana Blanchard? Alana, I she's actually not on the top ten list. The only female, two females on the list were Stephanie Gilmore in sixth or seventh, and then Carissa Moore in ninth. 
How much does Stephanie make? Stephanie makes one point six four. And mill. So here here goes. Top ten. John John Florence, five point six. Gabriel Medina, three point seven five. So almost two million under John John. That's US dollars? Yeah. Mick, three mil. Jordy, two point seven. Julian, two point five. Kaloe, two point one. Felipe, one point six. Steph, one point six four actually. Kai Lenny, one mil. Carissa Moore, one mil. You're never going to believe who number 10 is. Are you being facetious? No, you're not going to guess it. If uh, I gave you 10 guesses, you wouldn't guess it. Well, then I give up. <laughs> Leonardo Fioravanti, one mil. Uh. Um, now, Kelly Slater comes with a caveat in that he doesn't have a main sponsor. And... He has a bunch of different business interests that he may or may not be pulling revenue from at this point. They're all still pretty young that they might still be, you know, in the red or they probably are. So we don't know, Kelly, but those are the top 10 that they could figure out. Um, Pretty huge divergence between one and 10. And then I would also argue if you go beyond the 10, even bigger divergence. You start getting in the under six figures level for guys that are on the CT. Like Michelle Perez. I think Michelle's okay because he has a main sponsor, but there's guys that are sponsorless, you know? Who? Michael Rodriguez? Miguel Pupo. um, Especially among the guys that have qualified now, William Cardoso, Wade Carmichael. (laughs) How much? We should, it'd be fun to find out who, where they are on this list, you know? Well, we'll, yeah. Well, I mean, we'll be able to find out a little more easily after they're on tour. Um, but I think, again, huge disparity. There's an upper class and a lower class, but there's no middle class in surfing anymore, which, by the way, I'm fine with. Like, even those guys on the QS, um, the average cost to qualify for all the QSers was $43,000 in expenditures. So the average cost per event, 3300 bucks To get to an event, to surf it, it's going to cost you 3300 bucks. I don't think that even uh, counted their surf. Like how many boards did you have built in your quiver to go surf that event? That's just travel expenses. And um, obviously, those are just the seven guys that qualified. There's hundreds of guys who spent that money that never qualified and never will see a return on that investment. So it's hard to justify. What if you qualify in the year 2024 at a wave pool just down the street from your house? <laughs> you could you could qualify just on the North American tour, wave pool tour. Yeah. For super cheap. Yeah, that's true. Okay. <laughs> this is <laughs> off like, topic. Whatever. This no, this is off topic, but yeah. back to your journalism question. Yeah. Should Kelly recuse himself because of a vested interest in the WSL? I think the more pertinent conversation is should he recuse himself from the wave pool competition this coming year well i mean he surfed that pool i mean a hundred times more than anybody else has surfed it so that huge home field advantage you can make the argument john john has surfed pipe more than any other competitor so there's always going to be a home field advantage Yeah, i don't know if that matters so much it's more to me it's more about the integrity of the league and okay can you have an owner that obviously has influence whether he knows it or not not that he's using the influence in a negative way but he's just influential he's kelly slater for god's sake you're going to listen to what he has to say it's actually important what he has to say of course so but 
the wave pool. You don't think Kelly has any distinct advantage? No, by I think he does. Pool and surfing. I think he does. I think more he does. than anybody. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I think he does. I think he has an advantage for sure. Yeah, but that's not why I would. I'm okay with home field advantage, just okay. like I'm okay with John John. But this is a different home field advantage. It is because it's not accessible for everyone else. It's privatized. It's privatized. And I I remember reading somewhere <laughs> that I remember reading somewhere that they were going to open the pool once they reopen it after the winter will be open to all the C tiers. Whoever wants to surf it at any time yeah. can go there and yeah, get I've practice. I've heard that. Yeah, I've heard so that. So Felipe too. Toledo, feel free to come, stay as long as you want, surf as many waves as you want for practice. I've heard that they even have the guy's names on parking spaces there. Like if Felipe Toledo yeah. pulls in, he's got his own spot. Just That's like what they, I heard through the grapevine. Just like they do when they surf the trestles event, they make a parking spot. Oh, really? Or oh, cool. snapper event and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, Scott, uh, we did not get into a million topics in my notes um, because we went so far. We went so deep into the. Um, well, I thought that Encyclopedia of Surfing thing on the '66 World Champions was just had a lot of places to go. It does. You know? No, it's more interesting than telling you that uh, Margaret River is including boat ramp into the venue this year as a as a oh, potential spot. surf option. Uh, this year that was one of my stories pretty did pretty you watch boring. any of the B- duhui backdoor shootout stuff it's just starting today right no they put up uh on surfline they had replay of like the stand-up and the body yeah. surfing and so day one you're right they ran the body surfing. yeah they ran all the uh non that gave me the sort of the impetus to go what will professional surfing competition look like from our point of view the end user when the wsl leaves the north shore you're right and that could be a glimpse of what it will look like. Well, the, the production the, that we saw. The Dehui backdoor shootout has always had um, less than desirable production value for us sitting in California trying to watch it. They will usually do a YouTube live or in recent years, like a live stream on YouTube. But it's one or two camera angles, inadequate replays. And then the commentary is so local that it doesn't almost it almost doesn't translate to me and i'll watch it with the volume down uh and i actually won't even watch it i'll try to watch it for 30 minutes and then i'll just be like you know what screw this and then tomorrow i'll watch a recap even the recap is hard to sit through i just want to see the highlights you know um so that doesn't mean that that's a hurdle they can't get over like obviously red bulls come in and done wonders with things like the vulcan pipe pro but uh, for anybody interested, the Dehui should be running the next day or two. Like the main event of it should be running the next day or two if you want to track that. The waves are pumping yesterday. Did you see some of the footage? Yeah, I actually watched some of it. Dusty Payne ended up in the hospital. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, huge story, actually. That Dusty sucks. Payne uh, fell. Oh, I'll give you a quote from writer Guest. He says, quote, he fell on a nuts drop and hit his head and face on the reef and never came up. Oh, my God. Ryder Guess, who was in the lineup when it happened, according to video footage, Payne was underwater for five minutes, approximately, or I'm sorry, for five waves, approximately one minute and 20 seconds. Holy shit. Quote, everyone was whistling and I started scratching over to the board. Then Ulu Boy, uh, Kiyoki, Mikey Red, and a few others got to him. And got his head out of the water," said Guest. He was unconscious till we got him to the beach. Then came up, con- then came conscious, and a couple minutes later, or came conscious a couple minutes later, and blood was everywhere. It was so gnarly. Lifeguards gave him oxygen and stabilized him for like ten to fifteen minutes, and then the firemen and the ambulance came and they took him to the hospital. 
end quote. So it appears he's going to make a full recovery, but he was unconscious for a minute and 20 seconds, blood everywhere, really graphic scene. Everybody who was reported on it from the beach was very, very, very scared. Wow. Um, Dusty Payne, of course, Maui, former CT surfer, struggled through a lot of injuries in recent years, had some back problems, had some knee knee blowout, surfed well at the Triple Crown, won the Pipe Trials event, got into the main event at Pipeline, and in one of his posting interviews was like, I'm so thrilled to finally kind of be through these injuries from the last two or three years that have kept me sidelined. And then yesterday, face to the reef at Backdoor, so... No joke, man. We watch Pipe on the webcast, and it's like, oh, man, it looks fun. Like, I could maybe get barreled out there. No, dude. It's the real deal. Dusty got smoked. And Kelly had an unbelievable wave yesterday, which was going to be my must-see moment this week. Kelly's wave at back door absolutely looks unfettered by his injury. I'm stoked to hear that. Yeah. So. I'm st- I'm st- it looks as though... Um- from watching Kelly's Instagram stories that um, he's over there in Hawaii. He's having a good time. Did you see the golf footage that he posted? No. Oh my God. He posted this cool. He went golfing with Ricky Fowler, Justin Thomas, John Rahm. Uh, I think Tommy armor, the third and Jordan Spieth, like, and Kelly, you know, like that's quite a crew. Yeah. And they were all like, shh, like in sandals and like they were all super cash somewhere yeah. on some course in Maui or Hawaii, some private course somewhere. I don't know. Living the dream. And he just had replays of all slow-mo replays of all their swings and shit. And that guy's on his phone so much, dude. I know. Right. right? He's getting a dopamine shot. <laughs> I think it's too much. I'm like, how much can you enjoy the golfing if you're filming every single shot? You know what I mean? <laughs> like even when I go on vacation, I got to put my phone down because it, it becomes, uh, Speaking of Hawaii, a, a, a woman surfer got attacked by a tiger shark at Laniakea at, yeah. at, at Halton's right there, which is just to the Waimea side of Laniakea. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a pretty aggressive bite and shake and spit out. And um, re- surf, obviously surfers came to her rescue and helped her get in and they brought in the ambulance and everything. But that's that's a known spot, man. Laniakea is a known shark spot because of all the turtles and everything scary yeah um hey scott you know we have um the mavericks event on the big wave world tour this year yes is there a yellow light no there isn't uh but you know how we've questioned like how we've got all these local surfers up there right Right. how are they going to integrate these guys would you like to know i would and the locals have already been selected oh i'd love to know i'm gonna give you the list sounds like they have their act together Unlike the other group that ran this thing. I think half of it is sometimes they don't have their act together. And sometimes you and I don't have our act together in terms of researching what the actual rules and regulations are. That's probably 90% of it is that you and I, Scott and David, don't have our act together. Let's just cut to the chase. There's a third half, actually. It defies all mathematics. The third half is I think the rules change every year. I love third halves. (laughs) Good you know what stuff. I, you know what I mean? Yes. Like I, the rules do change and the WSL changes format and then they so Yeah. Okay, so here's the way it works. It's comprised of the top 10 surfers from the Big Wave World Tour rankings. Standouts from the Big Wave Awards. I bet you didn't know that. That's no. I didn't how, What does that mean? Um, the whole year's worth of accumulated yeah like ripping. they review last year's big wave awards like free surfers who charged uh-huh. and won an award and then they go that guy deserves to surf this event okay um big wave 
tour wild cards, not necessarily locals. Okay. Straight out wild cards. Big wave tour alternates. And that's where the locals come in? Nope. And hotly contested local field of wild cards. So for the last group, um, like with any other big wave tour location, there's six slots that are reserved specifically for locals. Let me at guess the who they are. Breaks. Hold on. So when it came time, yeah. the big wave commissioner, Mike Parsons, asked a small groups of Mavericks pioneers to make this year's picks. Two key members of that panel were Grant Washburn and Flea. Okay. Okay. So cool. go ahead. Make your guesses. Well, for sure, Nick Lamb should be in there, right? Isn't he's, he the past winner? I don't know if he's a past winner, but he's not in the wild card list. And is he a local? Nick Lamb, is he from that area? Yeah, he's really? from up there. I thought he won it. Isn't he the yeah. defending champ? No. Uh, Twiggy, I think, is the defending. Uh, Twiggy or Grant? Uh, or uh, James So Mitchell. Nick Lamb didn't make it, huh? Nick Lamb did not make it. I don't know that he's an actual from that area. Do you mean Half Moon Bay or Santa Cruz? Or the whole general. So that's a good question. I think Half Moon Bay is technically... Uh, yeah, how do you define local? Because a lot of those guys are from Santa Cruz, I think. That's a good point. Let me... Um, what about uh, Tyler the Goofyfoot? Is it Tyler Smith or Tyler... I'm just going to let you work Fox. Through Tyler Fox. <laughs> Tyler it Fox. It is Tyler Fox. Did Tyler Fox he, make it? He made it, yes. Oh, good. He made I it. I like that guy. By the way, the defending champion is Jamie Mitchell. I misspoke. Oh, okay. Not, not Twiggy. So the, the wild card locals... Tyler Fox, he's from Santa Cruz. Actually, no, I'm sorry. Jamie Mitchell was Nazare defending champ. I think Nick Lamb is the defending champ. He might be, but it wasn't on the Big Wave World Tour last year. Yeah, but still. Right, no, I get, you it. Should, I get it. You should take the guy that just won the last contest yeah, yeah. there. Don't you think? Well, if you're right, I again, we're so yeah. underinformed. <laughs> let's let's, get, let's the, stick back to the local just, wild cards. Okay. So you got Tyler Fox. You want to make some more guesses? Yes. I don't um, think you know a lot of these names. To oh, honest. really? Okay, then I don't. Go okay. Ahead. Ben Andrews. Oh, he's a big... Big man. He's a right? Half Moon Bay guy. He's huge. He's like six six. No, you're thinking Ben Wilkinson. Oh, Ben Andrews uh, had like wipeout of the year contender last year at Mavericks on like this insane one in the lip. Oh, that was mean. Tyler Fox, who's the goofy footer from Santa Cruz. Yeah. Travis Payne from Pacifica. Pat Shaughnessy from Santa Cruz. Jason Stark from Half Moon Bay, and then Anthony Tashnik from San. Wow! Cruz. So a bunch of it sounds like they picked some young upstart guys that no one knows about that are very deserving, or they wouldn't have put them in there. Well, because they're picked by Grant Washburn and Flea, right. so they are definitely deserving. I think this highlights how underappreciated and under highlighted big wave world tour or big wave chargers are. Not even world tour guys, just the guys putting in the hours, especially there. Yeah. These, these guys obviously have earned their that's cool i'm stoked that they're that they're truly wild cards that we haven't seen before you know like i am stoked about that too now and tashnik he's a two-time past winner i think he's won is twice he? maybe is he he's totally deserving i mean look there's a lot of guys that are probably deserving that didn't make it so yeah. i don't want to because there's that, only six spots yeah so i think so this highlights for me exactly what i just said and not coincidentally, is my Duke. You're somebody you just named Nick Lamb is actually my Duke this week. Oh, you want to know why? Sure. Because he just won the Punta Galea challenge for the second year in a row. Right. Did you even know? No. Of course not. Nobody covered it. Nobody knew. Punta Galea. Punta Galea challenge in the Basque region. Red. He won it on December 30th in virtual anonymity, and it was his second win in a row. Nobody covered it. Nobody <laughs> covered it. So Punta Galea was on the Big Wave World Tour, I think, the last year or two. It's not any longer, but they're still running the challenge. This is actually the 12th iteration of the challenge. They don't even have a website. Thank you. <laughs> 
Thankfully, they have a they have med- an Instagram account though. Thankfully, they have a media partner in Magic Seaweed, MagicSeaweed.com, which is where I found this story. Right. Um, it's the oldest big wave surf event in Europe that is still active. Um, the presenting sponsors are Red Bull and Mercedes, and then of course the media partner Magic Seaweed. Um, they have 5,000 Instagram followers, or I'm sorry, Facebook followers. So they don't have a website, but they do have a Facebook page. 5,000 followers. Nick Lamb for winning first prize. Do you want to guess his prize? 1,500 US dollars. It was actually 3,000 euros. So they award prize money to first through sixth. Sixth place got 250 euros. Wow. First place got 3,000. So I was looking at the prize checks going. That's good for a baguette and a bottle of vino. I know. Seriously. <laughs> Hey, Nick Lamb won the event. Congratulations. The last one to win it, 2015-2016 season, was Nick Lamb, February 12th, 2016. So in 2015, he got second. 16 and 17, he got first. No, they didn't even have it in 15. There was no contest held. So the last, he's the last winner. They didn't hold it in 15. Oh, okay. In 14, Grant Baker won it. And he got, Nick got second. Yeah, and 13, Peter Mel won it. Right. So congratulations, Nick Lamb. You are my Duke of the Week. And I again would like if I wanna if I'm arguing that people aren't highlighting big wave surfing enough in these heroes, hard chargers with no sponsors putting in the hours, I will be the first. 2018 resolution, highlight big wave surfers. Oh, well, that's good. And you're living up to your resolution. I just said it right now. Nick Lamb. And Next Nick time Lamb we see him, we gotta be like Dude, you're the champion of Punta Galeo. <laughs> Two years in a row. And by the way, next time I see him will be the first time I see him. I know. I don't think I could pick him out of a lineup. I've I said can. that before. Yeah, you have actually. Well, he <laughs> but served. it doesn't mean I don't appreciate what he's doing. He got some great waves out there. I watched the the recap footage. I'll post it on spitpodcast.com. People can watch that. It, it's worth watching. Sure. Guy was shredding. The, the second place, Nacho Gonzalez, got a 10 by getting barreled backside on a massive wave on a massive board, pulled in, came out. It was crazy. So this whole Mavericks picking wild cards thing, you know what it made me realize is that the guys they picked are truly local wild cards. In other words, the guys that used to drive up there and dedicate themselves to every time Mavericks broke, they might have been from down here. Like I'll just like say Rusty Long or like Evan Slater used to do that or like Derek Dunphy. None of those guys from down south made are there any down southers? It's truly local wild cards, and that's it. Like the and the and the behind that, if in fact that's the case, what's kind of cool about that for those guys that live and surf up there is they don't have to have this onslaught of guys trying to make an impression on these titans of Mavericks judges that yeah. before were the, like going to say, "Hey, we're going to put you in," so come on up here and surf. You know, it tur- turned into a madhouse. This might help deflate some of that and well, take away some of that chaos that. The Titans of Mavericks created. There are local wild cards, and then there's like Makua Rothman got an injury wild card. So there's other wild who cards. Who else is it? who else made it? Top ten um from the Big Wave World Tour get added or get to surf the event. That would be in order. Grant Baker, Pedro Collado, Greg Long, Jamie Mitchell, Billy Kemper, oh, Nick Lamb was in the top ten, so he will surf. Makua it. probably is too. Um Will Scudin, Jao de Masado. Oh, Jao? <laughs> Christian Morello and Kai Lenny, who you love. Kai um, Lenny. And then the guys, the four guys who are included from the Big Wave Award performers. Yeah. Louis, uh, Lucas Chianca, which is the guy who was doing that fluttery thing at Jaws. That's his, that's his that's thing. His that's trick. his move is he just late drop flutter. Fran, Francesco Por, or Francisco Porcella. Yes. Who had that sit down takeoff at Mavericks last year. Remember that? Insane. I hope he does that again. That was a heat winner. <laughs> Tom Lowe. Tom Lowe. 
and Pete Mel. Whoa. Former commissioner Pete Mel. That's kind of cool. That. That's kind of cool. Now, Pete's got to be getting up there. Like, at what, do, what, what age you do you go? In, in ability level? No, in age. Oh, oh, oh. How old is Pete Mel? He, I bet he's 48. Okay, I'll look it up while you're talking. I mean, that's, you're getting old when you're surfing 40-foot Mavericks and you're 48. Here's this could question. be his last hurrah. That's all I'm saying. I hope he goes out with a win. Okay, here's my question. Yeah. At what point does, I don't know, your body's diminishing athleticism yes. counteract your experience level? Because like he's got more experience than yes. anybody you could argue. Yes, and in bigger waves, it's not going it, to... It, it's it's that I think that that moment that shift is easier to to ascertain in small surf. Agreed. I think in big waves you can pull it off longer. I think it just a matter. It just depends on what kind of like yoga, what kind of workouts you're doing, how how dedicated you really are. Like, are you on a program to win? Are you doing yoga? Are you doing calisthenics? Are you eating right? Are you doing the whole thing? That's going to slow down that moment. Agreed. And I'm sure that Pete's involved in a in a in a workout deal in a program to, to do well so but how old is the oldest guy in the mavericks contest well it might be pete i've got his age what did you guess 48 he's 48 yeah he was born in 69 so i mean but this I'm could sorry, be his last november november 69 so he's 48 this yeah. could be his last hurrah yeah i agree he's pushing the limits i mean in the way his that kid Kelly- could be in his kid's like 18 19 20 now or something so he could be in this thing well he could and pete mel um I think like Kelly Slater is obviously pushing the limits in terms of what you can do at old a older age in the high performance shortboarding. Pete Mel's the equivalent example in Big Wave World Tour. But I would say when I've seen Pete surf on smaller waves, not looking as flexible as Kelly. Like he has a stiffness to him that I would think is uh going to hinder his ability in small waves, whether or not that translates to big waves. We'll you haven't see. seen me surf lately. <laughs> you wanna you wanna see stiffness. Hey, who else? Tell me, did Josh Kerr? Like, I'd like to see Josh Kerr on this thing. I'd like to see Damian Hobgood in this thing. Now's Where's Damian the, Hobgood? He's not on there, but now's the time for Kerr to commit. He's off tour this year. And, uh, and Damian Hobgood was in some big wave world of tour events, wasn't he? I think so, yeah. And he's, he's obviously committed to the lifestyle. Commitment to the lifestyle. Committed Only to the big wave lifestyle. So who else is on this list? That's it. Okay. I gave you the full list with the wild card Makua. That's pretty cool. That's That sounds like... I'm stoked on uh, Kai Lenny. I'm stoked on Billy Kemper. Who are some Jaws guys that aren't on there that should be on there? Ian Walsh. Yeah, where the hell's the Ian winner. Walsh? Don't Ian know. Walsh needs to be in this event. Yeah. They need to get him in this event. Yeah. Like, you got to do what you got to do. You got to... My feeling is, if you're a winner of of the Eddie or of Jaws, you should get an automatic invite. It's good for right. your contest to have these guys in your contest. Especially if there's only four events throughout the year. Yeah, these guys got to be in this event. Okay, well, this, again, commitment to big wave exploitation for David Scales for 2018 also fits into my kook of the week. Big wave world tour for not running the Nazare event. We're in the waiting period for Nazare. It was huge. It was huge. So the guys were paddling it, too. It, There's photos crazy. of guys. I think Jamie Mitchell, right? Or so. A couple was, guys. It was couple mental. Guys. So it was mental. And I'm I mean so, it's always mental. <laughs> that's like saying that's yeah, true. it was wet. So, <laughs> <laughs> um so okay. Maybe the WSL doesn't run. They didn't even like yellow light it. I right? Know, it wasn't there they they it's almost like they purposely went, no. Why though? 
So the waiting period for the Nazare event is October 17th through February 28th. Um, we got a bunch of footage. I I just don't understand why there was no chatter from the Big Wave World Tour about... I think even if they didn't run it, it would behoove them to stir up some interest. Just right. to be like, hey guys, this is coming. We're going on yellow. Like, look at all the exciting things. They would then benefit by all the free surf footage that came out that was published by non-WSL related media outlets. They would benefit from that by at least tying themselves to it by, hey, we're going to run an event here. We might run it this week. Maybe we won't, but we're at least paying attention to this. You guys should pay attention to it too. As an outside kook looking in, I kind of feel like that wave isn't even really a, a good big wave competition. It's just, it's it's at such a totally different level. It's Define it for me. How is it different? Well, okay, Mavericks, you've got a known wave that guys have been riding for decades and Jaws the same and this wave comes and it hits a reef and there's a, there's a guaranteed channel and there's... And Nazir, Nazir, Nazare, whatever it's called, it's just, it's just, it's just not the same, man. It's not defined enough for you? It, it's, it's, I don't know, but it's like pornography. I know it when I see it, you know, but I can't define it. But it just feels like it's not a big wave surfing competition spot. And what genre of pornography is not sorry. <laughs> this is like bestiality. This oh thing. no. <laughs> no, I don't it's just I don't know. It's it it's better for the big wave awards. You know, it's better to have for the big wave awards. Like, yeah, go and sh- go and paddle it. I'm okay with paddling it. And I'm okay with seeing it and seeing the wipeouts and seeing the the splendor and the awe and the incredible, you know, it's incredible. I just don't think it's the right competition Venue. format or canvas or venue for because it's big wave world Sur- tour because, competition okay so let me just parse what you're saying so is that because the waves not breaking on a defined enough reef don't have enough consistency to be able to judge one ride from the next i just don't think it's a traditional wave and that like it's basically you're just dropping in and you just also defined mavericks well, but at Mavericks, you're doing a turn. You're setting up for the ball. You can ride a long wave. You can actually do top turns. There's n- you can't do all that at Nazare? N- there's no tube riding at Nazare. Maybe there's like- On the right, there's an opportunity sometimes. You know, maybe I'm wrong. I, I, well, I started I- this whole segment by saying maybe this is a kook outsider's view looking in, which is probably what it is. But okay. I just feel like- Can I take a shot at it? Yes. Because I don't disagree with you. Yeah. I think it's a mushy wave. Like well, that, sure. that's the problem. And so there's moments where the right jacks up or even the left, there's a moment where the left at times can jack up that looks really critical and crazy. But let's say 80% of the waves that we see written out there, maybe even more than 80% have a lot of volume of water moving, but it's mushy. Yeah. And so there's, it looks less it's critical. It's a mountain. It's more it of a looks, mountain. It looks a lot less critical than certainly Mavericks is that's breaking in a really defined spot on the reef and like jacking up. And I don't know the barrel opportunity is super important for me. Um, I guess it is, but even without the barrel, I mean, you could, you could do, you could get a 35 second ride there without doing a bottom turn. Yeah. That's 
Maybe that answers it all right there. Maybe that's what I have a problem with. If you can't do a bottom turn, then it's not a competitive wave. Interesting. Right? Yeah. I mean, they're just doing one big... It's it's more of a a mountain. But Waimea, you could not do a bottom turn on? No, you go to the bottom of the wave. Not always. Guys angle it. No, but I mean, my point is there is a bottom of the wave. Like, there's not a bottom to the wave at Nazareth. Right, right. So I I got a question. Um, We've seen the popularity of foil foiling rising. Yes. Are we calling it hydrofoil or just foil? Foiling. Okay. So foil boarding? Sure, foiling. I'm going to go for foil. Okay. I just feel like... What about you? You want to go foiling? That might get confused (laughs) with the aluminum type that I use in the kitchen. Like I want to give it like an extra qualifier somehow. Well, the one you use in the kitchen, call it aluminum. Okay. Okay. So there's... You're going to use some aluminum and then you're going to go foiling. Got it. So the ocean variety. Um, It's been interesting to watch that kind of evolve in the last year or two, but I think it has more application somewhere like Nazare than almost anywhere else. Where yeah, like, that's a good point. They're really, one of the huge challenges there is the conditions. Even when the waves are massive, you get lots of wind, chunk. chop, chunk. Yeah. The foil board allows you to ride over all of that. Unless it's a three foot chop, like you're riding through that. And you're stuff. going fast. And you're going so fast, which the, is the problem on the mushy wave as well, is you can be in a place in the wave that there's no push, there's no energy. Whereas the foil, again, taps into below the wave. I think the foil could be an unbelievable advantage at Nazareth. That's a really uh, astute point. Thanks. I agree with you. Thanks. That, that's That could be the spot for it. Get on it, Kai Lenny. <laughs> Kai. <laughs> Can I just say right now that Kai Lenny's going to win the Mavericks event? And I He's think- already won your heart. I oh my god, that guy's the best surfer in the world. He's no doubt. If you play all of the tools out in front, you lay the sailboard, you lay the stand-up board, you lay the surfboard, you lay the big wave board, you lay the foil board, you lay the wake board, you lay Scott's heart. <laughs> that guy's the best, um, Kyle Lenny. So look, you- there's a swell in the water. I think. I mean, Mavericks should happen. I, there's going to be a swell in the water. Next week. A Maverick swell? Yeah. I think so. Okay. Um, by the way, did you see Kai Lenny's footage getting barreled in Oregon like two or three weeks ago? No. I'll send it to you. It's so gnarly. Um, what? What's that? <laughs> Can John John do that? No. <laughs> Dude, they got three angles of it. And there's a moment where he's getting... Sp- like, First of all, he threads this thing. The line he picks is pretty gnarly. Like, It's actually... Oh, I did see this. Yeah. I did see this. It's insane. And then, so... He gets spit out. When he gets spit out, he gets lifted off his board and his back foot comes up and then he stomps it and comes out of the thing. There's a drone angle, a cliff angle, and he has the GoPro on the nose looking at him angle, which is where you could see his foot come off. It's it's the most well-threaded barrel I've seen in a long time. He's got a... Um an ability like the best in the world do to be just really relaxed and calm in situations that were normally you'd be like, Oh my God, Mm -hmm. time to get out of here. You know, he seems to be able to hang on and handle the bump. Definitely. And I feel like at jaws where guys, uh, knife in and set up for the barrel and then get blown out. There's a predictability to that wave. This wave, there was 
a lot of negotiation required. There was a lot of like dropping and decide to do a bottom turn or stay high and then pick the line through the barrel. And then when you're in the barrel, negotiating it and then coming out, being able to kind of make that adjustment and recover that blow up that happened was there was negotiations every step of the way. I was super impressed. He deserves the million bucks that he made last year. So I'm looking at the forecast for Mavericks for Tuesday and Wednesday next week. Okay. 16 to 20 feet. That's just for the spots around there, which means it's it's massive deep water swell. So it'll be 35 to 40 feet at Mavericks. Sweet. Basically, all the middle of next week, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Let's get a yellow light on that thing. So let's go, Big Wave World Tour. Let's do it. We're ready. This is the time. We've got nothing else going on. Help me fulfill my 2018 prophecy or uh, whatever they're called. Resolution. Kai Lenny. All right, buddy. All right. Well, that's about all time. Coming up on a two hour mark. Oh, I forgot to say. Yeah. Jonathan Nimmerfro, the famed Slurpee wave photographer out of Nantucket. Longtime listener of the show. He said he met you in the parking lot at Seaside a year or two ago. Yeah. He's a great guy. He never told me that. Yeah. Sorry. Tell me everything. (laughs) Why are you concealing stories from me? Yeah, Jonathan. He uh, and he sent. He did a, such a great marketing move. He sent everybody that he knows in the media world photos. Those photos, and he's yeah. like, "Use them if you want." And everybody used them. Yeah. Like you see his photos everywhere. Yeah. Well, I interviewed him. I caught him on the phone a couple of days ago, and so I'll play that interview right now at the end of this episode. Um, so I won't say adios and aloha until next time, but I could say it, and then you could clip it onto the end of it. Perfect. I'll do an well, ending right now. So I just stay get- tuned for Jonathan Nimmerfro. Nimmerfro, photographer from Maine, Nantucket, Nantucket, Massachusetts, Massachusetts. I get a little bit into his backstory, and then of course the exact conditions required for the Slurpee waves to happen, and uh, his professional kind of interests and all that sort of stuff. So Jonathan Nimmerfro. Yeah, he might have showed up at the boardroom too. I think. Mm, I, I had never met him. I've never met him in person. I would have met him if he was there, I think. At any rate, he's been listening to the show since, I think, day one or certainly early on. So shout out to him. Check that or enjoy that interview with Jonathan Nimmerfro. And then Scott and I will be back at the end to sign us off. You shot the famed Slurpee Waves. Can you tell me about that day, specifically that day this year? And like, is the water actually slush? Is it frozen over? Is it a rare occurrence? Is it common? Kind of walk me through the day. Um, so, wow. So I haven't seen this since 2015 and, uh, pretty much like the way the story goes for this year, um, I, um, went off Island, like you take a boat to get to the mainland and I was going to visit friends for new year's. So on new year's Eve, I was on the, on the boat and like the whole Harbor was frozen. The boat was kind of breaking through the ice and I went outside to like the back part of the boat outside and I saw like kind of these like waves along the shoreline from like the boat wake and I was like what I haven't seen the harbor frozen like this since 2015 so like the whole time New Year's Day like I woke up I was like we gotta get back home like before all the boats and and stuff are canceled because like the storm's coming and then on the second is when I woke up and like I had this like voicemail from a friend he's like I'm about to paddle out the waves like pretty fun but he didn't mention anything about like the slurpee waves being back so I grab my camera, drive up there, and sure enough, like he's paddling out in the Slurpees. <laughs> my wife is just with me. She had never seen him like in person from the last time, and she was like kind of blown away. And just like these so, two two friends of mine were just like out the back, kind of where like the 
the fresh kind of water was and then they were like riding waves into the kind of the shoreline where like the slurpees were so it's frozen kind of on the inside section but it stays because there's so much water moving out the back maybe it doesn't quite freeze over yeah and i so this time around just like uh the the slurpee waves and like the frozen section was maybe just like uh like uh i don't know 50 yards out and the first okay. time it happened the like the ocean was like frozen like 300 yards out <laughs> oh okay so you said um obviously the last time you remember it was 2015 which we saw photos of and you kind of went those images went viral um is that the first time that you'd seen it happen in your whole life or is it something that only occurs every few years i've never seen it happen before um really i've I've kind of like through people seeing these photos, like living here in Nantucket, um, they've said they've seen them like, you know, 25 years ago or something like that. But like, it wasn't really what? documented or anything. And like, see, I, I thought that were... it was like a fairly regular occurrence that you guys had like <laughs> no. seen, but nobody had documented before. <laughs> no, I thought I saw him in 2015. I thought I'd never see him again. <laughs> That's what's so crazy about all this. So what were the actual temperatures the other day when you shot him? Um, let me see. I wrote all this down. It's, it was like 12 degrees and the ocean was around like 36. Who are the surfers? It's just my buddy, Nick Hayden and Jamie Breyer. And these guys are out there surfing year round in, in like colder weather, really. I mean, these guys surf in the snow. Um, it was kind of no big, they kind of were just like, it was no big deal. And then, you know, they maybe surfed for an hour and they got out and they were like, we're going home. (laughs) They were like so frozen. And, like, there's some yeah. shots of those guys just, like, the whole wetsuit's, like, iced over. <laughs> it's so crazy. What's the surf scene like out there? Um, we have the raddest, like, little small surf community of just, you know, there's a handful of us that are out there kind of in the middle of winter surfing. And we're all, like, best friends. And we hang all summer long. When the surf's small, we ride logs together. And, um, you know, people see the photos out out here and they're like well when i like come out and surf i'm like to catch like good surf out here is like kind of a mission <laughs> mm-hmm. you can only get here by boat or plane so it's like that kind of affects getting here like before the swells over how uh how big's the island um i thought like the longest points wide is maybe 15 miles wide okay and like it's pretty like we don't even have traffic lights out here <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> so you uh you said you actually grew up there no, I'm actually originally from like the Philadelphia area, and me and my wife oh, moved okay. here in 2012. Are you able to make a living off photography there, or do you have a day job too? Yeah, I'm a full-time photographer, and my wife's a, like a full-time writer, so together we barely make enough money to pay our mortgage, but it, it's working out pretty well. I was going to say, that's kind of an ideal location to live that kind of a lifestyle, like a kind of vacation destination. So... Um, I remember two years ago when this happened, your, like I said, your photos went viral. Did that, what was that uh, popularity spike like? I, I remember like you had a, maybe a thousand Instagram followers and it jumped to 10,000 or something like that. Yeah, like all within like 24 hours. And then by the end of the first time, it was like 15,000 followers. Oh, wow. So what, just... was the, what was that experience like? And um, did that translate to business at all? And yeah it did and like I, I remember you guys mentioned it once on on like the podcast about like, like tony hawk started following me and i was like that was so rad like no like way yesterday taylor Steele started following me i'm like a huge fan of his surf movies 
That's so rad. What's been the, um, I don't know, greatest adulation that, that's come from your viral stardom? Any celebrity emails, follows, um, I don't know, mainstream news, interviews, anything like that? Just tons of like fan mail. Like Literally, it's going to take me like weeks to go through all this just from the last couple of days. And I think the last time it happened, it was more emails, just like fan mail like, and like just people wanting to know, like, you know, are they going to be around? Like, I'm getting messages right now. Like, are they, are they out there right now? <laughs> really? I'm like, no, they melted two hours after I took these photos. <laughs> Prior to that happening, you wouldn't even know how to anticipate that sort of success. But after the first time, it seems like maybe you could just create like a landing page with all kind of the basic Q&A so that you don't have to filter through all of that information repeatedly with people, you know? Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't know that I, I have like a journal, like a journalism background and I worked as a photojournalist for 10 years before I moved up here. So I kind of know like how to work quick and get these out there and having like the experience to do that and just this is such a timely like kind of random news weather story and like right now the northeast just got hit by a big storm so it's kind of like of course every news outlet wants to run these photos right now so what are some of the big ones where who's reaching out to you uh the first one was like the boston globe and um like most of the major like surf magazines like surf surfline stab um CBS, they did something on their morning show and the evening news had some of them on there. Uh, Fox has it up on their site right now. I think they're like doing some on there. It's kind of hard to keep track. I have all the emails and I'll go through and like find all the the websites and do screenshots just to keep them. Um, but I'm just trying to keep it, keep it, keep getting all the images out there for people like as, as quick as I can. How does it work legally um, for a publication? Are they do they have to pay you to run the images or? Yeah, pretty much anywhere you see these on like news outlets or they're paying um, typically per photo uh, is pretty much the way that works. Yeah. I always wonder how that works on Instagram. Like what is the difference between a news agency running the photo versus, you know, a podcast yeah, let's say, yeah. running the photo? <laughs> and that's something you really can't control. Like once it's out on social media, like anyone can screenshot and reshare really. And like, there's even apps to repost. And so like some, some of these like, news outlets will just like use a repost app and put it on their website and you know that's fine but <laughs> i mean is it fine though how do you how do you really feel about it as the photographer yeah i mean it's hard to almost even keep track of all that but i think i think even um when the internet came around it was probably hard for people who were used to print to keep track of different websites publishing things but it's obviously worked itself out to a point to where now every, you have to charge or you have to pay to use something, um, not on social media, but at least on your website. So I would think we'll get to a time where you got to do that on Instagram too. Yeah, totally. Do you care? I mean, in one sense, I would think the more eyeballs, the better, and the more you can grow your reach, the better. But at the same time, it's work and you got to get paid for the work. So what are, what's your thought on that? Definitely like this is how I make my living. So you know, everyone should pay to use the photos pretty much. And that's pretty much that. <laughs> you said that you make a living as a photographer. What are you shooting mainly? Um, basically here in the summertime, it's anything from real estate stuff. I do weddings and family portraits. Um, my work is in a gallery here called the Samuel and gallery and a good source of my income comes from that. And the way that started was when the first round of these slurpy waves came out. Um, they are a brand new gallery, and I was like the first artist to be featured in the in the in the gallery when it opened in 2015. People are buying prints. 
Yeah. So like they're Amazing. they have a a gallery in, on Nantucket, which is pretty seasonal. It's just open in the summertime, and they have a a, a year round gallery that's open in Grange, Connecticut. Do you have any interest? To pursue surf photography outside of Nantucket? Yeah, I, I travel. Um, I'm doing some projects with a company called the Howler Brothers. Um, I've been okay. shooting like their catalogs. They're a men's fly fishing and, and surf apparel, apparel company. Um, so I've done some trips in Mexico. We were just in the Bahamas doing their spring catalog. Um, and they're really fun guys to work with. And basically, I just show up and document a week of just hanging out with them. Any interest in shooting surf action? Yeah, yeah. I... I um, I shoot a lot of stuff on Nantucket, and um, my wife and I spend um, a lot of time in Southern California. Um, so I've like done some stuff out there. If you had this kind of notoriety year round, like maybe Chris Burkhard does, what would you shoot and wear? Like, what's your ideal professional photography life look like? That's a good question. Yeah, I think just like surf, going places I've never been to, and definitely like finding like waves I've never thought you could surf <clears throat> or maybe just like trying to chase slurpy waves like all around the world they've got to be happening elsewhere right yeah I mean I've definitely seen other photos and like you know, one time I had a, a, a teacher from like Alaska said he saw him once and like he was like you should come up here and shoot him and I'm like it's impossible to like really track him down <laughs> have you identified the exact temperature and kind of conditions that is required I, to make it happen. I think I kind of found that just from like when the entire harbor is like frozen over here I'm like that's like the sign like maybe this ice is gonna like start coming around the harbor under the south shore here it's not just as cold as possible though right because there's places that get colder who don't have the slurpy waves so it it has to just be the right confluence of elements right yeah it's, it's just bizarre that it's happened like here like twice in the last five years and you know like just the other morning there was it was just me my wife and these two surfers on the water there was no one else even on the beach which was just yeah. like really random that these guys called me and like i got the shot well it's also random that they didn't mention anything about the slurpy waves they just were calling you to shoot right yeah so like i woke up and there's all these missed calls and there, i just put a little video together on my website and you can watch um these guys catch a couple waves and the opening of the video is the voicemail and like yeah there's no mention of slurpy waves at all so i just pulled Mm -hmm. up like oh cool we're gonna get some cool winter shots and like i was just like um i'm gonna just get some shots of the slurpy waves they're all bummed you're just focusing the camera on (laughs) the shore yeah Yeah. and that's one thing i didn't get is any video the first time around so i grabbed this kind of like like small cam video camera and i was like basically shooting video while i was shooting still photos just so i had something and a friend of mine, Kelly, helped me kind of piece together this like little edit just so people could see what it looks like. No, that was actually really helpful to see the video of it. Cool. Where can people support your work? Uh, just jdnphotography.net or jdnphotography.com. Um, the video's up there. There's information about the Samuel Gallery, and you can kind of cruise through and see some of my other photography from places I've traveled. And then what's your personal experience like with surfing considering you grew up in philadelphia did you grow up surfing or yeah so it was about an hour and a half ride to the the beaches in new jersey that's where i learned how to surf and um yeah i i've pretty much mostly ride longboards out here and um like i said i spent a lot of time in southern california and um it's nice to escape the some of the winter time here do you guys have any board builders on nantucket we do. We have one. Um, his name's Nate, and it's called District Surfboards. And um, okay. 
he basically like shapes and glasses basically in a shipping container. He's the nicest guy and he's always out like surfing year round too. Does he make a living doing it? Um, no, I think it's kind of just a, it kind of was a hobby and he's getting like more and more orders every year. And he, I think he has like a, a day job. Um, and it's just something he, like he works on in the evenings and the, in the weekends. Even shapers in Southern California do that too. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, dude, you know, the final question for everybody interviewed. What's the last board I wrote? That's it. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny because I, I have like the raddest longboard quiver and like I'm super into riding this like Josh Hall glider. And um, what? my wife and I were just in Florida like right before Christmas and like there was a little swell and I just like went to a surf shop. I was like, do you guys have anything other than like a soft top board I can ride? And like this guy's like, yeah, I'll let you ride like this board. And like we just go outside and like you grab something on the back of his truck. And I think it was just it was a single fin longboard like a surf tech or something um and i was just like psyched i was like see you later. i'll be back by the time you guys close <laughs> they just loaned it to you yeah yeah That's i guess so they, kind of, they could tell, kind of tell like just when i walked in i was like do you have anything other than a soft top and they were like yeah we'll hook you up <laughs> that's only slightly better than a soft top by the way i know i was just so psyched to be in the warm water and like get a couple waves <laughs> yeah yeah what about that josh hall glider though yeah, so like I said, I spent a lot of time in Southern California, and like that's like you can't get any of that surf culture. I feel like out here where I live, or mostly on the East Coast. Um, so every time I'm there, I'm like buying a few boards and bringing them home, which is like super expensive to get them back to Nantucket. But that's my favorite board, I think, to ride. Um, we have a lot, so many little small days, and I've I've taken that board out an ankle high to, to like overhead waves out here what is it like how long it's 11 footer oh my gosh yeah yeah the more you ride it what were you gonna say yeah just the more you ride it you just like addicted to it like i have just regular logs and i'm like i'd rather just ride this <laughs> i've never ridden any of his boards but um i've heard nothing but great things and i've talked to him i'll have him on the show eventually we've talked about it we just haven't kind of aligned our schedules did you get it from him directly um, I bought it from Pilgrim Surf Shop. They're like in, oh. I think, somewhere in New York, Brooklyn, or something. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. They have like a great selection of boards, and it's it's cool. They're bringing like those sh- those shapes, you know, to the East Coast. They've done a fantastic job building a little surf community. Yeah, so I'll Pilgrim. be out in your way in March, and yeah, de- I'm definitely gonna give Josh a call. I'd love to see his shaping space and catch a surf with um, you and Scott. Would be a blast. I want to see Scott's quiver. <laughs> Scott shreds, man. <laughs> yeah. I ran, um, into, I ran into Scott at Cardiff once and like my wife had just came back from like a beach walk and I was like, honey, this is Scott, you know, Scott Bass. And she's like, yeah, guy. <laughs> no way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she listens to the show too? Yeah. Oh, was, well, she gets stuck listening to the show occasionally on long drives and she usually falls asleep, but she's kind of psyched that you guys have made like the quality really well. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> so she's able to get through an entire show. I've got a... A funny story that I don't think I've ever told on air, but I was visiting um, a surfboard shaper on the East Coast, actually, and uh, we were driving to dinner, and I was in the back of the car talking, and his girlfriend turned around, and she was like, this is so weird, hearing your voice in the car with you actually being in the car. (laughs) No way. (laughs) She's like, like, I usually... 
we're listening to you in the car, but you're not here with us. You're just coming through the speakers. I was dying laughing because I'm like, first of all, I didn't think anybody's girlfriend or wife actually would like sit through the show. Yeah. And then secondly, I just can't believe anybody's listening, you know? <laughs> That's classic. It was so funny. But yeah, when you... um Let's let's work it out. When you come down to San Diego, maybe that's when I record that interview with Josh and we can get you to document it with photos and stuff. Oh, awesome. That'd be great. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Well, I've been stoking over the last just like couple of months of like the stuff you guys have been put out. It's been great. Thanks. I appreciate it. All right. GDFphotography.com. Everything you Perfect. need about Slurpee Waves is right there. Right on, dude. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. All right. Thanks so much, David. Talk to you soon. Hey, that was a great interview with Jonathan Nimmerfro. Thanks, man. You did a really good job. Until next time, adios and aloha.